I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stone. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on a Monday morning, reviewing all the Week 7 NFL action. Appreciate everybody live on YouTube joining us nice and early on a Monday. Very early. Head-to-head with our friends at Good Morning Football, as always. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're ready. We got, as, you know, as usual, Sam, a lot to talk about. A full slate of Week 7 action. Are you ready to go? Full slate other than all those teams on the buy. Forget the buys. Okay. We'll be back to a full slate. It's next week or two weeks from now. There'll be no buys. Is it next week? How does that make any it's sense? It's buy-free. We have some buy-free weeks in the middle of the season. There's, it's a new schedule. There's six teams on a buy this week and no teams on a buy in a couple of weeks? Don't ask me. Ask AWS <laughs> and the billion iterations of schedules. All right, man. Let's get right into it. Uh, starting in – and you guys you, you guys covered Thursday Night Football uh-huh. on Friday. If you're One looking done. for – a Jag Saints review. Check out the Friday show of the PFF NFL podcast. But we're going to go New England Patriots 29, Buffalo Bills 25. Patriots get their second win of the season. Bills fall to 4-3. and three. Uh, Crazy back-and-forth game. New England was in control for much of it. Tried to fumble it away mm. in the fourth quarter. Kind of felt like, okay, the underdog, you know, your, your story's over. Buffalo, you're going to hand the ball, hand the game back to the Bills here. Bills take the lead in the fourth quarter, but the Patriots and Mac Jones lead a fourth quarter comeback to take the lead with about 10 seconds left and get the win in New England. Yeah, 12, I think. They had one second less than uh, Kansas City when they they showed it's possible. They rounded down to 10. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was just curious. You know, it's like, well, you know, this is possible. It's happened to you, in fact. For a field goal, though, they were were down four. Still, Josh Allen. So, what'd you make of of this game? Uh, another one of those games that just makes no damn sense. Like, how how did this happen? Buffalo was a better team than New England. New England is a bad team, and yet they went out there and for the first mo- majority of the game, we're like, no, we're going to take the lead. We're going to execute well. Mac Jones coming off the back of some of the worst games any quarterback has had is like, no, I'm going to be efficient and good, and not do anything yeah. bad. It's not, it's not crazy in the sense, it's not like you've never seen Mac Jones in New England play like this before. It was just, they hadn't clearly all season. You know, early in the year, they were far more competitive than they have been in recent weeks. And you just kind of never know. I mean, this is why I picked them against New Orleans a couple weeks ago. Because they didn't, I didn't think they'd be that incompetent. I didn't think they'd get outscored 82-3 to across a two-game period, right? This is a more reasonable New England team that is... Competitive on both sides of the ball. Mac Jones, uh, I mean, look, he wasn't perfect either. He fumbled in the pocket and had some weird plays in there, but he still finished his 25 of 30 for 272. This was like rookie year Mac Jones where he just, you know, yeah. he's completing passes. He's mostly accurate, and uh, he throws the game winner to Mike Kosicki, as you mentioned, with 12 seconds left. Mm. Now, does he count for uh, National Tight Ends Day? I don't know. I'm just, I'm over National Tight Ends Day. I don't. Kosicki? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Did, did they, yeah, did they, uh, 
Did they classify him as a tight end? I assume so. They were talking tax. When they folded into all the the numbers. Yeah, good for him. That was, uh, I mean, Farrell Brown went full Gronk today uh, in this game on National National Tight Tight Ends Day. Day. Two catches for 51 yards, and he was rumbling through the defense. It felt like, this is, Demario Douglas, as crazy as this sounds, sixth-round rookie who's lit up training camp for the New England Patriots, Playing out of the slot. I mean, he every time he's on the field looks like one of their best playmakers. And he is. And they used him early on. They're using him on jet sweeps. It felt like, hey, Demario Douglas is the key to New England's offense not looking inept. I mean, yeah, he he does look like one of their best playmakers and has all season long. And given their playmakers, he probably is one of their best playmakers. Uh, it's just earlier in the season he wound himself up in the Bill Belichick doghouse for fumbling. Um so yeah, like they're better when he's on the field. Clearly, now a lot of they had what 166 out of 272 receiving yards were after the catch. Their their receivers did work with the ball in their hands. So Mac Jones finishes with a time to throw of under 2.3 seconds, lightning quick, and an average depth of target about four and a half. Yeah. So it was a, a quick hitting, short passing attack. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the whether it's Farrow Brown or Demario Douglas, they did it. A lot of work after the catch. Ramondre Stevenson on that game-winning drive, a little swing to him for a big gain. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of how Mac Jones played a couple of years ago. Yeah. I mean, this was this was what we knew New England were capable of, but it showed known signs that that was going to happen recently. Um, Josh Allen, you know, started to get – so it's one of those, like, when you see games that go in a weird way, I'm always curious how it started, right? Like, what was the opening sort of sequence of drive, drive, drive? Did it go one way dramatically? So New England get their touchdown. Josh Allen comes back. And was it the first play of the game where he just completely misreads the coverage and tosses it to, like, a dropping cover two corner? And you're yeah. like, that's terrible. What are you doing? That's it was like uh, the... Jabril Peppers. It was cover three, actually. Yeah. Hit okay. the curl flat. Hit the curl flat defender. No, you're right. Underneath. I'm just looking at it now. Sorry. I didn't mean it. I'm not no, trying no, to correct you. You're right. You're right. Usually, usually you correct your, uh, your podcast partner more subtly. No, no. It's important. To get the correction yeah. on the record is it's important. Cover three. I don't it's want to be factually, factually yeah. incorrect. Right. You're right. Yeah. It's, the, it's the, not a flat defender. It's curl flat. Right. Yeah. Dropping the dropping zone the defender peppers. underneath. Just throws it right to him. But that's like the, those sort of rookie mistake plays where you're like, ah, oh, he just, you know, just – didn't really anticipate what that uh, zone defender's capable of in the NFL. It's like, yeah. well, Allen should probably know that by now, and instead threw him the ball. Um, and that kind of set the stage. It's like, uh, now New England goes back, and now they're up 10 or whatever, and the Bills were in a hole that it took them most of the game to dig their way out of. And honestly, they end up taking the lead, but – with a few minutes to go, it didn't look like this was likely for Here's, them to come back at all. I'll go through the the end of game sequence really quick. So Patriots are up two scores, and uh, Josh Allen hits Stephon Diggs for a touchdown. Beautiful play by Diggs. Allen makes a nice throw under pressure against the blitz. Diggs catches it, does a little pop-up slide. We call that a pop-up slide in baseball. Yeah. And then uh, gets into the end so zone. Sam, before we get to the, the exact sequence um, – this was since I mean since chronologically it's the first game we're doing here. This was the first of the games this weekend that had some very questionable officiating calls in it. Oh man! I, I, I mean, look. I want to talk about the football. You don't like officiating, but it's going to be very difficult to avoid it this weekend. It's, there was some horrendous officiating calls. It's seven a.m. I'm yeah. geared up for our two and a half hours. I'm ready. I got my coffee and everything. What I'm not ready for 
is two and a half hours of you talking about officiating I'm not, and toe taps along the sideline because I know half, what we're getting into. You don't need two and a half hours of it, but you're going to find it very difficult to get through the games today without mentioning officiating for several of them. Do you want to highlight the official? This the was one of them. Um, they had several plays that were massive high leverage calls that kept drives going, that kept Buffalo in this game, including the latest in, in an example of Josh Allen flops. They got him a roughing the passer call. On Flop was ridiculous. Right. Jalen Carter's was also ridiculous. That was also ridiculous. But, like, a dude runs into Josh Allen, hits him in the chest, and Allen, like, goes, ah, to the ground, flag. Is the NBA cracking down on flopping now? Is that correct? Or is that soccer? Like, somebody's cracking down on it. Like, the NFL. Soccer did for a while. If the NFL is cracking down on helmet-to-helmet and literal unsafe plays, they should probably crack down on this idiocy which is flopping which, which results in 15 yard penalties that change the game they should probably crack down on that mm-hmm. is that all you wanted to highlight yeah i just wanted to say there this is one of those games the first one that we will talk about where officiating played a pretty, pretty significant part of it great um, i won't go through all the sequence but basically you know new england's up two scores allen to digs for a touchdown to get within a score and then new england has four minutes left Whatever it is, you know, you, you, they're up five, I think it was at the time, and they have a chance to, you know, run their four-minute drill, run it out. Jordan Poyer with a peanut punch, which we see more and more. Was it last year or two years ago that really became more prevalent around the league? Darius Leonard, when he was, when he was Darius, had like seven of these a couple of years ago. Peanut punch on Kendrick Bourne. So Kendrick Bourne fumbles. Buffalo gets the ball back. They convert a fourth down, eventually get into the end zone, and it looks like, all right, you know, Buffalo's going to survive. The better right. team is going to survive the the onslaught from the underdog, but then the Patriots come back, as I mentioned, on their game-winning drive, swing past a Ramondre Stevenson for 30-plus yards and gets them into position. There's, there's a penalty that put them at the goal line as well, right, for New England, and then they get the game-winner to Gasecki. Everybody was like, there's no way Mac Jones is leading a game-winning drive, and then he did. Well, he had been something like one for 11 or something in previous – fourth quarter comeback opportunities uh not necessarily you know those are there's a wide reason for why those things happen you know week one against uh philadelphia they had an opportunity and mac jones made some good throws that just didn't get caught um but they all the, the patriots went from always seems to like something went wrong on every play remember last week against the raiders mac jones makes a great throw Devontae parker drops it and then he gets sacked, right? Somebody was failing on every single play, but it wasn't just one person. And New England just didn't have that this week. Um, also had their best pass-blocking performance of the week. i got to see if that is officially correct. Yeah, it is, by a pretty wide margin. This was by far the best run-block, pass-block uh, operation you know, performance by the Patriots. It was their highest EPA per play as a team. Like, everything was better. It's also the, the closest to their starting five offensive linemen that they want to have over yes. a season that you're going to get, right? Like part of the problem with why their offensive line has been such a mess this season relative to previously is it's been pretty banged up. It wasn't great on paper anyway, and they've been forced to the bench starting players that they don't really want to be starting. This has got to be as close to that starting five offensive linemen that they're going to get this season, at which point it looks better. Now, look, getting the ball out in 2.2 seconds is going to help that, but 
Like, that was a big part of this game is ball came out lightning quick. The receivers were getting yards after the catch. So yeah. Mac Jones is going to look better as long as he doesn't throw the ball to the wrong place, which he didn't. Uh, the pass protection is going to look better because they're not pass blocking very long. And Buffalo's pass rush isn't going to do anything because they don't have the time to get there you know, and get it done. So uh, that affected a lot of things, the fact that they were able to get the ball out quickly, repetitively uh, for you know small gains. It became bigger gains because receivers made work after the catch. Now, Buffalo started to get banged up on the defensive side of the ball at Oliver. You know, we've, we, we know some of the injuries that they've had there. Vaughn Miller still being eased back in. How concerned are you for the Bills, right? I mean, they, they barely beat the Giants. I mean, they were one play away from losing to the Giants just last Sunday night. It's basically three straight weeks of, of underachieving for the Bills, right? They, they weren't all that competitive as a team against the Jags in London. It felt like, hey, maybe they were sleepwalking last week against the Giants. They'll be back. And they lose to New England. I think this is the first time in the post-Brady era the Patriots have beaten the Bills without 60-mile-an-hour wins. Is that correct? <laughs> is that their first non-60-mile-an-hour win? Wind-win against Buffalo? So, yeah, this is um, against the trend here. So Buffalo falls to 4-3. and three, mm-hmm. Losing pace for that uh, number one overall seed. Yeah, I mean, falling way behind the, the other contenders. I For them... Like, it's not great, and they've shown a weird vulnerability this season in certain games and in a different different way each time. Um, I kind of get, like, the the number one seed thing may be going the way, but it honestly doesn't really matter for them. Like, once they make the playoffs, they're capable of doing things, but it's like, it's more a case of does this actually mean anything or are these just games that they don't want to be dropping along the way? Like, if if these actually highlight vulnerabilities to this Buffalo team that can be exploited in the postseason, that's a bigger problem. But in terms of does it actually matter for their season, eh, I mean, where are they going to get the number one seed anyway in, you know, a really tough AFC? If that goes, does it really matter as long as you still make the playoffs? All right, New England, their second win. Buffalo falls to four and three in uh, second place in the AFC East. Uh, Falls all about back to school. And the back-to-routine checklist. And the most important task on that list should be securing your family's financial future. Starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting health questions. All right, where else are we going to go here? Let's do this Browns game here. Cleveland Browns, 39. Indianapolis Colts, 38. The Browns move to 4-2. and two. Colts fall to 3-4. and four. One of the craziest games of the weekend. A mighty roar from the sound booth mm. by Tyler. He's geared up. He's got his Browns gear. And uh, he is ready to go. He is ready to roll with P.J. Walker for the rest of the season. And, uh, you know, P.J. Walker leads the fourth quarter comeback. <laughs> yeah. PJ, PJ and the officials. Oh, let's get into some officiating. Now, you were trying to claim before we went live that the uncatchable pass was not that uncatchable. I, um, 
I saw one view where it didn't look as bad. I would put it to you that that uncatchable pass was incredibly uncatchable even had you been the receiver in the back of the end zone. In fact, even had the receiver in the back of the end zone been Victor Wembenyama, I would say it was significantly uncatchable. It landed basically at the stand. It was wildly uncatchable, and yet the officials are just like, nah, whatever. It's pass interference. It probably was. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I do believe on those plays, though, where a guy is unable to jump, you do get a little skewed view sometimes. It always looks like those plays along the sideline. They, 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 they seem to have like forgotten the uncatchable portion of they really have. defensive pass interference this season. Let's I don't know if I that's this like a deliberate you know, focus on receive or uh, officiating, whether they've like specifically said, Hey, don't worry about the uncatchable thing, like penalize the illegal contact. Um, but there have been some plays this year where the ball has been not even close to being catchable and they've still thrown a flag and called it pass interference. See, I don't think it's that crazy. Yeah, no, it is though. It, you, because you only saw it sail over his head when he was crumbling due to the contact. No, I saw where the ball went, and I also saw where the end zone was, and I, I decided that it's there's, there's no way that's It's tough perspective, because if, if, is that uh, Peoples-Jones? Yeah. If Peoples-Jones, who's 6'3", is standing, <laughs> standing up, <laughs> it's, an, like, it's an overthrow. <laughs> but he might be able to get fingertips to the ball if he Stop. jumps straight up. I'm just Stop saying. Stop it. It's kind of a weak call, though. Weak call. So back-to-back penalties. I, I don't even know where to start in this game. There was a lot of crazy plays. Um, from just a scoring perspective, uh, Jerome Ford kicks it off with a 69-yard touchdown run, big gap, takes it to the house. Uh, the second play, or the second touchdown, Gardner Minshew hits Josh Downs for a 59-yarder. Uh, it was a blown coverage by Cleveland. So, Miles Garrett, who had one of the most insane games ever, also jumped offside twice, and on both plays, it was like a massive bust by the Browns' defense. Yeah. Like, this one was the first and he one. he stopped was playing. Worse. Everybody stopped playing. Yeah. It's like, ah, he, he jumped. So everyone just stopped playing, and the Colts were like, but this, this is a free play. Thanks. And just hit Josh Downs' touchdown. Like That's why for, Gar- Gardner for, Minshew's stat line is yeah. nuts. But for all the good that Miles Garrett did, like, those two jumping offside penalties were massive problems for the Browns. Even though last week wasn't necessarily a jumping offsides penalty, this uh, the downs play for 59 yards was reminiscent of the play that we broke down on the Explain the Grade, where Christian McCaffrey was running wide open for a potential 55-yarder. And I'm ju- I just want to make the point that sometimes on a week-to-week basis, if the QB misses the throw, it feels like good defense. If he hits the open throw, it feels like bad defense. And there were some of those plays for the Browns. I don't think the Browns' defense actually played that poorly. It was just the plays that they had, like Michael Pittman's 75-yarder. You know, you have – sometimes it's just two players, right? It's like the corner misses a tackle, the safety's out of position, and it's a 75-yarder. It's not horrible team defense by every single player. Um, but that was, you know, that was a big play as well, a 75-yarder um, from Michael Pittman when the Browns are up two in the fourth quarter. You have – you have the the Colts leading twenty one to seventeen just a little <laughs> bit before the half and trying to run the clock out and you know maybe punt and just you know get into the half with a lead and instead Miles Garrett with a strip sack in the end zone that leads to a touchdown. Um, so as I mentioned, like Gardner Minshew's stat line looks ridiculous because he had fifteen completions for three hundred five yards. 
So he's 15 of 23 for 305. That's 13.3 yards, uh, yards per attempt, in part because you have those coverage busts or Michael Pittman running through the defense for 75, but Minshew also for the second straight week. Was it, was it two weeks ago against the Jacks? I mean, he just put the ball in harm's way a ton, including a bunch of fumbles. Yeah, it was a weird game by Minshew. Um, and they were using, like, the touchdown run, his first one, that's like an Anthony Richardson play that you assume is yeah. no longer in the playbook. And they're like, no, let's run it with Minshew. What's the worst that could happen? Uh, and it's like, it's, it's an actual option, um, option in the true sense of pass and run, right? Like, they, it's a sort of read option look or fake run up the middle. Um, and then Minshew runs out to the side, keeps the ball, runs out to the side. There's a route combination going. Like, there's a pass option there. Everybody's looking for the ball. And then he just, like, jukes Grant Delpit, was it, out of his shoes and, and starts running it. And he's still got, like, what, 15, 20 yards to go and takes it in. It's like, that's not – this is a play that Minshew's not supposed to be running anymore, let alone actually having success with it. Someone in the chat says those Garrett play, those, those plays are on Garrett. Well, yeah, I mean – we're going, uh, in the, then they should show up in his PFF grade. Well, offsides will show up in his PFF grade. We're not going to give, I mean, that, that's He doesn't get part charged of, for a touchdown because right. everybody else stopped playing. That's part of the, um, I mean, the, the guy that we always compare Miles Garrett to, TJ Watt, also had an extremely costly offense, uh, offside penalty yesterday that prolonged a Rams play. But it's just, again, I think the, we're not getting into explaining the great stuff. It's just one play, right? I, you give a downgrade for the offside thing. It's not Miles Garrett's fault necessarily that coverage stopped playing or that it was a you know a 75-yarder or whatever it may have been on those plays. You don't get deducted more because you know the result of the play. It's just you get yeah you get a downgrade for for jumping offside. Yeah, I will say Garrett does seem does tend to jump offside quite a lot. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's for, the I mean, balance with. But he was ridiculous in this yeah. game, like absolutely absurd. He had the kind of, you know, like we've we've had this argument for years that the difference between T.J. Watt and Miles Garrett, and generally speaking, the difference is Miles Garrett wins more on a down to down basis, but T.J. Watt's plays are more impactful, right? The strip sacks, the the interceptions, like he had uh, yesterday, and Garrett doesn't tend to have those types of games, and you know some of that is. The, the fact that he just doesn't have the help around him and the ball is out quick and blah, blah, blah. But whatever. Like, he doesn't tend to have them. But he had one yesterday. Like, he absolutely took over that game. He had several plays that completely changed the complexion of the game, including jumping clean over the, the, the line and blocking a kick. Like, he had a T.J. Watt type of game where all of his big plays were massively impactful, including the mistakes. Like, the, yeah, the outside the outside. Um, yeah, he wrecked uh, poor Blake Freeland. I always refer to him as poor Blake, Blake Freeland. Certainly when you're blocking Miles Garrett. Because uh, Freeland's just not ready to pass block in the NFL, as we keep saying, and he completely whiffed on him. Um, so, yeah, Garrett had yeah, absolutely had those big plays. I mean, the one other point I just want to make here, again, I don't think play for play, this is what's weird about football, Sam. I don't think play for play, the Browns' defense, was way worse than last week against the 49ers. But think about all the different conditions. When the Browns made a mistake, the Colts hit the throw, or they made the catch, or it was just one or two players made a mistake on a play, and that leads to a, a huge gain. Um, or you know, sometimes you're just in a dome and not in the rain, and that helps you make the throw. Um, but yeah, I think sometimes when you see, when you watch film, and you're not looking to just justify the result, right? You don't just say, well, this team 
shut down the 49ers. Therefore, it must have been the best defense. You watch film. Sometimes you see opportunities. Sometimes you see a little bit of luck. Sometimes you see those things, and oftentimes they get exposed. And I thought in a few plays, some of the plays that the Browns got lucky on last week, they got less lucky on this week. Now, at the end of the day, Browns end up winning the game for various reasons. Let's go to their side of the ball offensively. Deshaun Watson lasts five dropbacks, throws a bad pick on the run, uh, gets hit pretty hard. I mean, he looked really hurt. He gets tested for concussion, mm. passes concussion protocol, so we find thing. out later. Yeah, everybody assumed that he went out of the game because he got – the shoulder got re-injured, right? He got hit hard, went out. You know, like, oh, you know, they, they, they didn't rush him back, but he's back. It was a shoulder injury. Shoulder injuries re-aggravated. But apparently, yeah, he was being tested for concussion, passed the test, and still didn't come back into the game. Yeah. That's kind of weird, in addition to the weird he's been medically cleared but not playing for a while. Um, I mean, I'm assuming he doesn't feel great with his shoulder. I'm assuming that's that's a big part of it. Mm. Um, P.J. Walker, once again, did not play great, but the cover two shot that he hit on the comeback attempt under pressure hits an absolute laser to Elijah Moore. I mean, P.J. Walker remains an enigma on a play-by-play basis trying to figure out what he's going to do but he also pulls out remember last year he had was it the Hail Mary but it was more like just just a bomb behind the defense I mean he's got some of the best one-off throws we've seen in the NFL the last couple years P.J. Walker with a great cover two shot Tyler wants him to be the starter for the rest of the season Mm. have P.J. Walker running the show here for the Browns the it's funny because you know, a game like yesterday, you get the, some of the Browns accounts on Twitter, and they're like, here's how quickly they can get out from the Deshaun Watson contract. And you're like, oh, God. Like, things are – that, that's maybe the worst single move in NFL history if, they're, if they have to get away from it at any point. Like, it's, it's just an absolute and total catastrophe. Yeah, I'm not sure it's at that level yet. Um, but it's a combination of when he's been on the field, Watson, it hasn't been good. And now you've got this, you know, shoulder injury where he can't get on the field. I, I have to look it up. I don't think I've ever seen a game like this, 39 to 38, where the quarterback grades are so poor. Because Minshew's got five turnover-worthy plays. And like I said, you know, hitting like a 15-yard dig to Michael Pittman is fine. But that usually ends up as a 15 to 20 yard gain, not a 75 yarder, right? Mm-hmm. Hitting a wide open Josh Downs for 58 yards. Those are inflating the stats for Minshew. And again, Walker on the other side, uh, one big time throw, a couple turnover worthy plays. Don't see this very often. No. Really nice uh, interception by Denzel Ward, though. Like that was one that, okay, it was risky by Minshew, but most of the time, minimum, that's just broken up. But Ward kind of takes it off the receiver and ends up picking it off. Yeah. Really nice play there. I mean, um, that's what I'm saying. Like, in a game like this, obviously the Browns scored a defensive touchdown as well. It's not all offensive points, but um, the defense has made a lot of good plays in this. Rodney Thomas with a nice interception. Julian Blackman played well um, for the Colts, the safeties. So, yeah, it's a it was a crazy back-and-forth game. And then if you want to go back, it was two penalties that put the Browns mm-hmm into scoring position for the game-winning touchdown, which, again, was that on fourth down, Kareem Hunt? The touchdown? Yeah. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. The Browns kept trying to trying to score through the air, and it's then they down. give it to Hunt, and he 
barely gets uh, gets across the goal line for the touchdown to, uh, uh, to put them up. It was on fourth down. On fourth down. So it all came down to that last play. I mean, this was such a back-and-forth game, I had to remind myself who won because there was times where I was like, that's it, the Colts have won. They made the final play. <laughs> that, that's it, the Browns made the last play. They're going to win. It was such a great back-and-forth game. Yeah, so the first penalty was on third and four. Um, and then the second one was after that. And like, So the first one was... The second one was interesting because it was clearly uncatchable, and the officials have just decided they don't care about that this year. The first one was interesting because it was illegal contact, right? Um, it didn't like slow the receiver down at all because he kind of missed and fell over, and they, it's like, all right, that was a pretty clear. Well, it was, but it didn't actually do anything. Like it was, it was definitely illegal contact, and it was definitely you know a bad play by the defense. On the other hand, he missed the illegal contact and fell face first in the turf. It's like. He didn't actually impede him anywhere. He, he, he failed at what he was trying to do. Um, I don't have a problem with them calling it. It's just an interesting, like, generally speaking, when you call those defensive penalties, it's because like it, it significantly impeded the receiver. This one barely touched the receiver because he did such a bad job at trying to foul, um, and yet, you know, gets called anyway. Um, I just I want to stand with angry, drunken German in the chat as well. Hmm. Who says it? Uh, the fact this game was bleeding over into the Chiefs Chargers was infuriating. I don't understand. I, I have, I have Sunday tickets, Sam. Yeah. I don't understand why I can't watch full screen football games of every game. I have access to every game, but because CBS does the they, it's their national game, Chiefs Chargers, they want to show the end of Browns Colts. So because it went the other way, right? They wouldn't let people see the end of a game last week. Mm. One of the channels wouldn't let somebody see the end of the game last week. It's like. But if you have Sunday ticket and you pay for every game, okay, you should here, never see a split screen. Here's my take on that. I don't have a problem with the split screen, but I think it needs to be consistent. It needs to be the game you're watching is a larger screen. Yeah. Uh, you're not needs, red zone. You're not going right. back and forth between audio. Yeah, and it needs to stick with the audio of the game you're watching, right? Right. So it, I don't have a problem with picture-in-picture. And, you know, down in the bottom left-hand corner or whatever, you see the game that's still dragging ass and hasn't finished yet. But don't ever go to that audio and keep it the same freaking size. Stop bouncing between various different, like, picture sizes and aspect ratios because that's annoying and confusing. Yeah, well, it, especially because you think you have to understand. I, I, I don't but know. But I don't have I a assume... problem, like, keeping it on the screen and being like, this thing's actually still going on and that's relevant to some people, so I, let's keep going. I understand I'm in the minority. The Sunday ticket users are in the minority, right? But you now have this new multi-view on YouTube. Like, somebody's watching that game on multi-view already, and then they're getting this small picture and picture. Like, the whole thing is uh, it's a work in progress. Yeah, but I, I don't, yeah, again, I don't have an issue with there being the picture-in-picture picture thing. I just think the way they're doing it at the moment is awful. Um, all right, Cleveland Browns moving to 4-2, and two, tied with the Steelers, right? Steelers 4-2 and two now? Yeah, they don't make sense. Somehow. The AFC North, very confusing, as always. All right, New York Giants 14, Washington Commanders 7. Fun game, Sam. <laughs> it was not. Um, it was. It was no, fun. It was. There was some fun stuff in here. Tyrod Taylor got the start again. We mentioned this could be a sack fest. We also prefaced it by if Daniel Jones played. But, yeah, Tyrod Taylor got sacked four times. Sam Howell got sacked six times. because you wouldn't let me call it a sack off. No. No, you shouldn't. Mm. I mean, it was. That's what it was. It certainly was this week. Um, the Saquon Barkley Giants are far more competitive, as we've seen. 
the Tyrod Taylor Giants. Tyrod Taylor. Uh, oh, maybe it's the Tyrod Taylor Giants. The, the sacks were so obvious that they were, like, calling them. Um, you know, like, the way Tony Romo was, like, everyone thought Romo was great because you spent the first, like, six months of his career, like, calling plays before they happened. That the announcers are doing that for sacks in this game. They're like, well, you know, we told you there was going to be a lot of sacks. Watch this third down. It's like Sam Howell drops back. Just, uh, sack. They're like, yeah, told you. <laughs> That's how obvious the sacks were in this game. They were literally like doing a Tony Romo before. And it's like, sack coming here. Watch it. I don't think this one was as egregious as last week as far as blaming Sam Howell for the sacks. But yeah, there no, was. But there were some in there. It was a little, uh, it was a throwback for me, I thought, to last year where the Giants, remember, they, they held on to win a bunch of these games. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, against the Packers, I think, in London, and there was a couple other games. They made goal line stands, I think maybe against Tennessee in week one. They made these goal line stands. And they're not just goal line stands. It's Wink Martindale goal line stands. You know, when, the, when you know the Giants are going to have some aggressive blitzes down the stretch here. But it was – that's what it was, right? Sam Howell has – you know, they have extra rushers, and on third down, so the commanders are down seven, trying to lead the comeback. Third down, Sam Howell spins away from the pressure, hits Jahan Dotson. Was that on fourth? That was on fourth down or third down? Yeah, wait, hits, on, hits just Jahan Dotson and, uh, and drops. I think that was on fourth down to end the game. Um, but, you know, you just have the Giants sending extra rushers, knowing you got to hit somebody quick, you got to get it to somebody, and it puts a lot of pressure. On the offense, those are the types of you know game clinchers that the, the Giants had last year. And we got to see that this week against Washington. I, I mean, I think it is worth pointing out the difference that Tyrod Taylor has made to this offense. Um, as much as you know, Tyrod Taylor might not be great. He clearly he has changed things. Like him taking deep shots to Jalen Hyatt is different. Like they've they've been. Giants fans have been calling for this all season long, and apparently the only person in the building that, that thinks there's merit in just going, hey, why not let's lob the ball up in the direction of the really fast guy and see if, see what happens. Maybe there's a good play out here. I mean, he's hit multiple deep shots to Jalen Hyatt. He had a third one that was in his hands, and the DB broke it up in the end zone. Like, that was – that changes the, the offense, even with a bad offensive line. Uh, our friend Eric Edholm tweeted after they scored, the Giants just scored their – First touchdown in a month, uh, first first half touchdown, and first touchdown at home. Tyra Taylor now has as many passing touchdowns as Daniel Jones this season. Like, okay, you're kind of stuck with Daniel Jones, but there's a significant chance that Tyra Taylor is actually a better quarterback for the current offense. Oh, man. I mean, he's looking a lot more like the Buffalo Bills version of Tyrod Taylor than the the, the subsequent one, the guy that's been bouncing around the league as a, as a backup slash journeyman slash, hey, remember when he was good for the Bills and isn't anymore? Like, he looks more like that guy than he does the, the second version. Okay. I mean, Tyrod's played pretty well the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and his biggest flaw has been taking some silly sacks, which the is, Giants is have scored. Bad. The Giants have scored 23 points the last two weeks. Right. I mean, the difference is their defense is playing way better. That's well, the no. real the, That's difference. not the difference at all because we've just established that he has as many touchdowns as Daniel Jones in a fraction of the time. That's fine. So I mean, that's Daniel better Daniel Jones also had a second half. He had a second half of a game 
against the Cardinals where they scored more points than Tyrod's last two games as starter for the Giants. Let's not against the Cardinals. Let's not. That's what we're going people, for. People people tune in here at 7 a.m. on a Monday to get some real you know in-depth analysis. Sam, not the guy that's led the team to 11 and a half points the last two weeks is the future here for the Giants. Like let's he's the future. You I'm said he's, he's the future. Lock him up, Tyrod. I know you didn't say that. No. But, you, but, like, yeah, like Daniel Jones isn't playing well and everything. The offense is ugly, and Tyrod's playing a little bit better these last couple of weeks. But let's not get crazy here. The right. offense still has plenty of issues. I agree with unlocking Jalen Hyatt and at least chucking it, right? It did feel like Daniel Jones was under so much pressure you don't have time to get it out there. But sometimes you do. Just hit the top of your drop, get it out there, let Jalen Hyatt make a play. He had two catches for 75 Well, this yards. is like the Andy Dalton game for Carolina. It's like sometimes you need another guy in there just to see how bad the situation actually is. Like I think what Tyrod Taylor has shown is that as bad as the situation is in New York, it's not as bad as Daniel Jones was making it look. And actually, because of that, Tyrod Taylor might actually be a better quarterback for this offense at the moment. I'm not sure what you thought I said, but that's what I said. O- better for the offense for the moment. I know. I, I took some liberties with what you said. Mm. I did. A little bit yeah I was also just trying to ground you a little bit that like the the narrative change if the Giants defense was playing as poorly as they were earlier in the year and the Giants lose you know 24 to 14 it's just like oh same old Giants they scored 14 points or if the Giants defense got lit up by the Bills last week as they as on paper it looked like they could and they lose 31 to 9 because they scored 9 points last week instead of 14 to 9 it might not feel as good you know what I mean? It doesn't have to feel as good, but it's, I think it's visible that he's being outperforming Jones at the moment. Yeah, look, there's a, I, I will agree. He is. Tyrod hitting some big-time throws, getting the ball down the field much better, um, and you just see a better um, group of playmakers, right? Even just getting Darren Waller unlocked, getting Jalen Hyatt on a couple deep balls, Saquon Barkley with a really nice 32-yard touchdown through the air where Tyrod extends the play a little bit, gets him the ball in space. So I'll agree. Yeah, obviously Tyrod Taylor's playing better than Daniel Jones had played over these last couple of weeks. But Giants' defense has been far better. Um, I mentioned that they sacked Sam Howell six times. Uh, Dexter Lawrence was unblockable on several of those. I tried to go through it, you know, try to break down the sacks yeah. again just to see. It was, this one was far more on the offensive line on those particular plays. Dexter Lawrence getting quick pressure, missing stunts. But anytime, anytime you see an unblocked rusher, and you get that a lot with the Giants, a lot of times it's on the QB, right? Either setting the protection so that the guy's not unblocked or the unblocked guy is the quarterback's responsibility, right? And it's like, if this guy comes, you're throwing behind him, there's a hot route, and there was, didn't always have a hot route and everything, it was, it was a bit of a mess. But the, the commander's offensive line did not do a great job picking up stunts, blocking Dexter Lawrence. They didn't have answers for unblocked defenders a whole lot. And even after all that said, Giants turn it over in Washington territory, and the Commanders drove from their own eight all the way to the Giants' seven. I think they had first and goal from the seven, and they're unable to, uh, to tie the game. As I mentioned, Jahan Dotson drops it. So um, narrative-wise, yeah, the Giants' defense played much better. Tyrod's playing a little bit better. Just a weird, another weird seven. What did you make at game. the very end of this game? So right after that play, they – Jahan Dotson drops the ball, fourth and five, down by the seven. 
a minute left, right? So now the Giants get the ball with 56 seconds left on the clock. I probably started, started watching another game. Okay, so they get the ball time. with 56 seconds on the clock. At that point, uh, Washington had two timeouts. So if you start doing the math in terms of play, uh, in terms of um, clock, they don't have the time to chew it all up, right? You either need a first down or you need to do a few of those plays that eat out some, some seconds because you're not going to be able to just take a knee. They're going to have to get the ball back. Instead, they do decide to take knees. And not even those knees where you're like running back and trying to choose some time, just taking some knees, which means they're going to be giving the ball back to Washington with like 16 seconds left on the clock. Or, sorry, 16 seconds was what they needed to burn in order to not give the ball back to Washington with time on the clock. Uh, and the game ends up being ended because on one of those knees, somehow, Deron Payne gets hurt, and that's a 10-second runoff and game oh, done, seeing, right? Yeah. But effectively, rather than run plays and try and eat 16 seconds... The la- yeah, the last knee took place with 51 seconds left. Right. So rather than like run plays and try and get rid of 16 seconds and or pick up a first down, uh, the Giants were like, no, we'll take a knee and we'll gamble essentially that they won't, have, they won't be able to score. Yes. That feels – I mean, I understand that when you run plays, bad things can happen. Like it's not a shot to nothing, right? You can always fumble the ball or make a mistake of any other kind that can cost you time, points, whatever. But it feels like – you, I mean, if you don't burn 16 seconds, they're going to get the ball back outside of a weird situation like this. I was kind of surprised they elected to just take knees and risk that. Well, they offset it by take, having Mark Lewinsky just uh, take Deron Payne down, twist him up, so mm-hmm. he got hurt. Yeah. That's like, hey, guys, That's we got part to, of the play call. We got to run the clock. If you injure one of the commanders, they'll get a 10 second runoff right. in the game. So there's the. No, there's they, the, were, they were legit. Like, Deron Payne was doing one of those. It's the kneel. I'm going to try to blow it up. And yeah. Greg Schiano it, and then Glowinski was like they actually blocked on the kneel as I'm watching it. Right, and then he took him down. But I was very surprised that they decided to kneel rather than actually try and run clock and or pick up a first down because the game wasn't over. Yeah, that's that is a little surprising, mm. but it did work out because they injured Deron Payne, <laughs> so they got it. All right, man, we've got uh, you know Commanders up and down season. They're three and four. Giants moved to two and five. The one in five teams. Had a great week. A great week. Good maybe, for them. Maybe they're pretenders. But who are the pretenders? Who are the contenders? We're more than halfway through the NFL season, almost. That's what it tells me, though. That's what it tells me. Yeah. But DraftKings Sportsbook still pumping out unbeatable offers every single game. New customers can bet just 5 bucks on anything to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Bet on anything. 5 bucks. DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener, a sweetener offer every single game this October. You can get in on the football action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the app now and use code PFF. So you can go check out Monday Night Football tonight. You got Niners. You got the Vikings. You can go do it right now. If you're a new customer, you can bet just $5 on anything to get $200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code PFF. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas, licensee partner Golden Nugget, Lake Charles, Louisiana, 
21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in aunt bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance see sportsbook.com sorry see sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions terms and responsible gaming resources all right let's go to baltimore ravens 38 detroit lions 6 the game i think i was looking forward to the most Mm. This week, and the Ravens just dominate <coughs> from start to finish. Five and two Ravens. Lions fall to five and two. Uh, as soon as we start declaring the Lions as Super Bowl competitors, the Ravens, man, really just took it to them and dominated. Lamar Jackson finishes 21 of 27 for 357, over 13 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, and uh, just a dominant game here for the Ravens. Yeah, it was. Uh, both sides of the ball as well. Like, the, they were up, what, 28 nothing at the half, something like that? Um, and then, Like, well before the half. Yeah, you know, but like then coming early, out of halftime. Early you know, second. So, obviously, when you're 28 nothing, nothing up, neither side of the ball has gone well for the team that's got nothing, right? Uh, but then the Lions come out of the half, and they lead a drive, you know, at the start of the second half. And then don't get in. Like, it was fourth down, right? They took a shot into the end zone, didn't come up with it. Uh, so there was sort of signs that maybe the offense can crawl its way back into this. But then it wouldn't have mattered anyway because the defense still didn't, like, stop Baltimore. Um, so just, yeah, a, a depressing game from the Lions' point of view because neither side, like, both sides of the ball were completely outclassed. So this was one of those games. Baltimore's offense... Remember a couple of weeks ago, it was one of those, hey, Lamar's playing really well, but mm-hmm. everybody's dropping the ball. This was maybe the first game where you saw everything, everybody. You know, the on-paper group of receivers, Odell Beckham, Zay Flowers, Rashad Bateman. We know what Mark Andrews can do. We know how Lamar... Certainly on national tight ends day. Yes, of course. Mark Andrews, two touchdowns on national tight ends day. That's what I'm saying. Were they scheming those up? Like they, they were oh, you know, so. scheming up Travis Kelsey on the little screen pass deal. And I mean, is it a coincidence that it was a huge tight end day on National Tight End Day? No, it was not. See? It was by design. Mm-hmm. As I was saying, <clears throat> the Ravens had everything working. And, you know, so it was one of those games. It was the opposite of when we described the offense where something goes wrong on every play. The Ravens had the opposite, right? They had some well-schemed plays on offense. They had plays that worked within structure. They have Lamar Jackson. They had an 80-yarder to Gus Edwards where Lamar's, you know, rolling out. He sucks in the linebackers and just drops it over, you know, over their head for an 80-yarder to, to Gus Edwards. Everything was working. You have Lamar, you know, his first touchdown was on a keeper, which was beautiful. On fourth and one. Yeah. So well-designed. An interesting call, like right out of the gate. Now, other up until that point, that drive had gone incredibly well. Like Jackson was dropping dimes. They, he basically took they, other non Lamar Jackson plays were like four yards on that drive up until that point. Um, but fourth and one from the seven yard line, it would have been very easy to just kick the field goal. And said they're like, no, let's let's keep it rolling. They put the touchdown on the board. Um, the Lions fumbled the ball away in the next. So it, like it could have started very differently, but the Ravens had enough guts to go for it on that fourth and one and score a touchdown instead. And then their, their second touchdown is Lamar on a scramble drill, uh, making a great pass in the back of the end zone. Uh, he was, even just before that, you have a third and two 
where he just picks up three yards on a scramble, right? The Ravens, this was a game of, when, when the scoreboard's that, you know, when it's that dominant from a scoreboard perspective, it's not just like, well, every play worked. It's that the Ravens found a way to make plays work in different ways, right? When the Lions covered it well, there's a scramble drill. Or when they didn't cover it well, Lamar's hitting the throw. When it was just one-on-one, Zay Flowers runs a great route for a, for a deep out route. I mean, they just, the Ravens had answers for everything. This was like MVP Lamar Jackson. I mean, he, he was playing incredibly. Um, he had some absolutely wild extending of plays, like in the pocket as well, not just sort of when you hear guy like Lamar Jackson and extending the play, you tend to think of like crazy Russell Wilson-esque, like let's just run around behind the line of scrimmage, let's wait until there's a gap. But he was doing some wild extending of the plays within the pocket of just sort of bouncing around, you know, movements more extreme than, you know, Tom Brady, Dan Marino type movements within the pocket, but staying in there, right, and looking for the pass. Uh, that second touchdown, the one to Aguilar, like the amount of time he was in the pocket for before eventually breaking it into space and then yeah. waiting until Aguilar uncovered was just insane. So, you know, the Lions, we've said previously, the sort of one area of potential weakness is like their pass rush is basically Aiden Hutchinson and, and very little else. It was kind of like that in this game as well. Um, even Hutchinson didn't have that much of an impact, but also Lamar just didn't care. Like there were times where they were getting a bit of pressure and he was just doing this, like Aaron Rodgers esque resetting of lineman leverage, and you know just moving around within the pocket and staying out of reach of the pass rush, and then ending it with either a run or a touchdown or just absolutely insane level stuff from Lamar. Yeah, as you mentioned, I think uh, Hutchinson's going to have one of those games with a pretty decent pressure number, but not necessarily high impact plays, right? Because a pressure you know, much like sacks, can be late in the down, can be after five seconds. They're not all after, you know, wins or, or dominant wins. Um, yeah, th those are those are the games that are tough to predict. I mean, credit the, the Ravens' offensive line overall played outstanding from a pass-pro standpoint. Um, but it's tough to predict when the Lions, it, when it really is just going to be Aiden Hutchinson and friends, um, or if he doesn't have his best game. Like, he... On that third and two I was talking about, that was Hutchinson did have a nice win and just didn't finish it. Lamar breaks out, picks up three yards on third and two right before the scramble drill touchdown. So everything from a Lions perspective, everything went wrong. From a Baltimore perspective, I always use the word answers. Do, does this team have answers? And they had answers to everything, right? We have good players. We have good pass catchers. We have a quarterback who's throwing the ball accurately and on time. And then when those guys aren't open, he's also just going to make a play and create plays where he's open, like Aguilar in the back of the end zone. Um, so I thought it was an outstanding, complete game by the Ravens. We haven't even talked about their defense because we've talked up this Lions offense. And I know there was times last year, they got shut out in New England last year. Like there was a few times where Detroit's offense has laid an egg, but Baltimore has the best scoring defense uh, you know, so far this season. And... You know, Detroit didn't have – they didn't give Detroit many options. The Lions – Or in the, on the ground. The Lions didn't pick up a first down until about seven and a half minutes left in the second quarter when they, they were already down 28 nothing. Yeah. Like that was the first – the first first down they picked up was 7.42 in the second quarter having already been stomped down four scores. Yeah. Ravens offense, man. 
set the tone, and then the defense just kind of fed off it. I was, um, yeah, I was really impressed. Impressed by Baltimore. Yeah. Across the board. I mean, that was – Lamar playing at this level is very, very difficult to do anything against. And I think it's significant that, you know, we were saying for a while, Lamar's playing amazingly well. The receivers are kind of letting them down. The offense isn't really what we expected it to be. And a big part of that was they're – they didn't have the group of receivers we thought they were going to have before the season. Well, now everybody they want is pretty much out there, and there's enough there to make plays. I mean, their top three uh, target guys in this game were Zay Flowers, Mark Andrews, uh, and OBJ. That's basically what it's supposed to look like, right? Yeah. And then Rashad Bateman was in there making a couple of plays. Like, they still have other guys popping up with the occasional play, and Lamar's just playing out of his mind right now. The offensive line was good. Like, everything everything for Baltimore was good. Yeah, it was really impressive, man. Um, start to finish. The uh, the other thing I just wanted to highlight, the when, when the Ravens are good, and you mentioned MVP caliber Lamar Jackson, similar to what we say about the Shanahan offenses, when they're cooking, when they're doing well, poor linebackers. You know, they put the linebackers in a bind because a linebacker facing Lamar Jackson in the Ravens has to take on, you know, downhill running attack. They've got a little bit more of a horizontal running attack now, the new system. So they're getting their playmakers into space a little bit more. Then you have to deal with play action. You got to deal with misdirection and all these different things. Rookie linebacker Jack Campbell had his struggles. Alex Anzalone, who'd been having a fantastic season, like they just the Ravens just did a lot to, you know, to move linebackers, to move those second-level defenders. That creates those open throws, creates space. And so the Ravens' offense is clicking and also putting those second-level defenders in a bind. That is very 2019-ish when it comes to the Ravens. So just wanted to point that out. Poor Jack Campbell as a rookie. Make him look wrong quite a bit Ravens mm. did a nice job of that in this game amazing game by Ronnie Stanley I mean the offensive line generally was really good but did Ronnie ca- Stanley was fantastic did you catch his block on the yeah. touchdown he had a Michael Ower block of driving a guy out, yeah. of the, out of the end zone off the field he also I th- think it was another touchdown um, but they had him on the other side of the line they had him at like either right tackle or like tight end as the extra guy on that side um, for a sort of pin pull type of play where he cracks down and absolutely like broke open that side of the line as well he just normally you think of Ronnie Stanley as amazing pass blocker the end but he had a great game run blocking as well yeah he absolutely did so shout out to uh, Ronnie Stanley and the chat wanted to shout out Tyler Linderbaum the playmaking center also played solid as well playing pretty well for the Ravens let's go Atlanta Falcons 16 Tampa Bay Bucks 13 Falcons move into first place in the NFC South at four and three. Bucks fall to three and three after the Saints fell to three and three on Thursday night. Of course, the Panthers are winless, so the Falcons are sitting there atop the NFC South. The fantasy community is very upset yeah. with Arthur Smith and the Atlanta Falcons <laughs> because Bijan Robinson had merely one carry, yeah, and um, was He's reportedly feeling ill, not feeling well, not yeah. feeling well, and um, the fantasy folks are quite upset it wasn't clarified whether what was making him feel ill was arthur smith's deployment of his receiving resources you know maybe he was just personally affronted by the the use of kyle pitts and drake london uh 
and that was making him feel sick. I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. But Tyler Algier uh, pretty much handled the majority of the workload. You got to see Cordero Patterson again at running back. Still a baller. Yeah. And, um, look, I know the Falcons only ended up scoring 16 points. Part of that was Desmond Ritter, you know, didn't get to the end zone in time before he fumbled. We'll talk about that play first in a minute. But the Falcons' offense still looked pretty solid. They created a bunch of big plays in the pass game despite not having Bijan in there. This apparently was the first time since, first time this century that a team or a quarterback has won a game whilst fumbling in the red zone or turning the ball over in the red zone three times. Jeez. It was three? Yeah. He fumbled a snap. He fumbled the ball right at the goal line. Was there another, and there was another fumble in there? What was the other one? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think he had three fumbles, right? I love it. I love it when you get these uh, never happened before stats. Um, yeah, there was some crazy, some crazy sequences in this game as well. So the Ritter gets in the end zone on a keeper at first. I tagged you on a tweet. I said Sam's been calling for this man. Been calling for some Desmond Ritter keepers, and he's you know he scores on a keeper in the red zone. Um, but yeah, they got in there a couple times, and and then he did it over. again. Only not so much. So on that play, the Falcons are up three at the time. And Ritter keeps it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a, it was another one. Not that people care about like, but like I'm watching the million games, and I see him run in. I'm like, oh, Falcon score to go up two scores. Yeah. And then you come back, and they're going through the replay, and it's like, I don't think he got in because Antoine Winfield tracks him down, knocks it out right at like the half yard line to save the touchdown. Incredible play by Antoine Winfield, which almost. Save the game for the Bucks. Yeah, it turned a two-score lead into just a three-point lead um, with the ball going the other way. This so this game had two plays in it where the magical goal line thing be, was a factor. Um, yes, you know people hate this idea of you fumble over the goal line, it's a touchback, blah blah blah. So that was one of them. Um, the inches involved between Desmond Ritter scoring a touchdown, going up two scores, and Antoine Woodfield knocks the ball out. It's actually a touchback. Uh, Tampa Bay get the ball. But then the other one was this insane Drake London play where he's, he catches the ball and then sort of like dives and gets hit and is like reaching out with the ball whilst heading towards the earth head first. Yeah, he's and going spinning. straight down. Right. Reach. So yeah. he's reaching out as his head is coming down towards the turf as the rest of his body is collapsing down on top of him. And the difference was like an inch between on this play so they're they're replaying this and the possible outcomes of this play are uh he's he's fumbled out of bounds and he gets the ball at the like two inch line he has fumbled over the goal line and it's a touchback or he broke the plane of the goal line whilst falling towards the ground head first and it's a touchdown so they're sitting there at the replay and the three possible outcomes are setting you up at the one touchdown or turnover and honestly i genuinely think they're looking at this and they're like what is the least egregious outcome we can give for this replay because honestly it could be any of them i i would have supported a call of touchdown on that play given the way the replay showed it so i think i think at the end of the day he'd certainly and the thing by the way that 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 sealed it the thing that they said oh this is why it was is because his finger as he's like falling towards the ground, this hand like swipes outwards, just trying to keep balance, and apparently grazed the white turf outside, like the white line out. And they're like, ah. "Oh, that's what made it." Yeah, he's out at the one. Because there was definitely a replay. If you're not watching the hand, 
you see the ball barely gets over the goal line right. after it falls out of his hand. So you would say, okay, that's a touchback. But it doesn't – yeah, it doesn't really he was fall out of out his of hand. He's still got hold of it. Anyway, the thing that – the reason they were like he's down at the one is because a finger like grazed the chalk out, you know, off here somewhere while you're concentrating on this hand with the ball trying to break, break the plane. Was that the famous ball don't lie? No, that uh, was because uh, the next play, Desmond Ritter dropped the snap, and that was right. The uh, I guess, yeah, the, that one was Sunday Night Football. We got one no. Out. I know Sunday Night Football yeah. was a legitimate one with the right. face mask, but the next play, Ritter drops the snap. I mean, there was, and that was that was a crazy exchange. The entire third quarter, the Bucks fumbled, Falcons get it. They have the Drake London play you just described, which you know put him at the inch line, and then Desmond Ritter drops the snap, and they turn it over again. Um, and that was well before Antoine Winfield forces the fumble on the goal line. Um, and even after all that, uh, Chris Godwin makes a big play. So the Bucks are down three. And Chris Godwin makes a big play to get into field goal range. And the Bucks look like they're set up for either a game-winning touchdown or a game-tying field goal. And then with 346 left, Baker Mayfield throws an interception. It was a really weird play. I don't think... Baker's at fault here on this, that he's throwing a timing out route to the tight end. It's one of those uh, scissors concepts. You got a post by the outside receiver. You have an, an out or a corner from the tight end. And Kate Otten gets like the timing. This is one of the this is one of those like install in training camp. You have to get the timing so that the receiver and the tight end are crossing at the exact right time. Well, Godwin, for whatever reason, the timing's off. Otten's route gets stopped. Baker's throwing the ball on time for an out. It's, it looks like it's way wide and a beautiful interception to seal the deal pretty much for the Falcons. And that was it. Mm -hmm. This was a crazy, a crazy back and forth game. Uh, I mentioned, you know, Ritter, uh, this was, uh, that was uh, when they were down, right? Yeah, well, that was when it was 13 to 10. Even to get in um, to the lead, for the Falcons to get into the lead, Big play to Kyle Pitts to yeah. get into field goal range. They had a big play to Tyler Algier where um, number 45. Number 45 on the Bucks decided to vacate his coverage and leave Algier wide open for the 45-yarder. Yeah, um, There were a few big pass plays in this game by the Falcons. Ritter threw the ball pretty well overall when he wasn't fumbling it. <laughs> he wasn't fumbling it. Uh, Kyle Pitts made some crazy plays in this. I mean, there was one late on that game-winning drive there was another one where it was like an out route thrown way inside of him, and he does that Kyle Pitts thing of just reaching back and snagging it one-handed. And they were saying like he trapped it against his back. He didn't even do that because it was facing the opposite direction. He just like snagged it one-handed and then just like hit it behind his own back in in the act of sort of, you know, recentering himself and, and carrying on running. It's You can understand why the fantasy community gets frustrated with Arthur Smith, you know? It's like... You can use these people more than just like, hey, there's five tries, there's five attempts in the game, and who knows when they're going to come, right? It's going to be random, but are you ready? It's like, why, why, why are some of these other players getting any attempts? You know, why are we throwing the ball to Scotty Miller? Why? I know he made a play, but like, because, why is he even getting the opportunity? Because he caught a 46 yarder on his only target. Who cares? Kyle Pitts would have done that. Scotty Throw Miller the ball to Kyle Pitts more. Or Drake London more. Just stop, stop throwing it to the people that don't belong in the field. Is the fantasy community grinding the film to to see if there are some plays where Kyle Pitts is available? 
where they're scheming it up for him and it's just not there or, you know, he's taken away by the defense. The fantasy community digging deep into I mean, that. there's plenty more plays that Kyle Pitts or Drake London could be making. I just – I feel like Arthur Smith tries to outthink things too much. You know, like there's a bunch of sort of soccer analogies. Like Pep Guardiola used to constantly outsmart himself in the biggest game possible. Like, ah, they're going to be expecting my normal unstoppable juggernaut of a team, so let's play without any midfielders today. Like, that's how we'll outsmart them. Or there was a line in a, in a sitcom where it's like they were Napoleonic Wars. We're going to station all of our uh, troops in Alaska just in case Boney should try and trick us by coming via the North Pole. It's like, he probably won't, though, you know? Like, just throw the ball to Drake London and Kyle Pitts. Don't, you don't need to outsmart it. Like, they're good. They'll win. That's probably a better option than scheming up plays for Jonu Smith and Van Jefferson and Scotty Miller. It's just easier. On this victory Monday for the Atlanta Falcons, the first place Atlanta Falcons, you're going to criticize Arthur Smith. He's just carried, caring about the W. Yeah, and but they got it. Half the time he doesn't. Falcons 16-13. to 13. I want to shout out David Onyemata. We highlighted him in the preview a little bit. One of the better free agent signings of this offseason, three-year deal that Onyemata signed. Go watch him. If you're going to go rewatch this game go check out number 90 for the falcons resetting the line of scrimmage over and over and over again in the run game plus um, five or six pressures as a pass rusher on yamada on pace for his best season he's uh he was drafted in 2016 you know hung out with the saints and was a really good rotational player for a few years but he has been just outstanding this year for the falcons calais campbell had a beautiful strip sack of baker mayfield as well i mean again i want to highlight the, the, the four the four and three Falcons, for all the things that you just mentioned, where they've got these playmakers that they can get the ball to and make it a little bit more explosive on offense and more consistent, the Falcons continue to get really good performances by some of their offseason additions on the defensive side of the ball. So Onyemata, Campbell, Calais Campbell, they deserve some credit, especially what Onyemata's done so far this season. Onyemata's been great this year. Yes. Yes, he has. All right, let's wrap up the 1 o'clock games. Chicago Bears 30, Las Vegas Raiders 12. Bears moved to 2-5, and five, as we mentioned. The 1-5 and five teams, dominant yesterday. Mm-hmm. Really good performances by the 1-5 and five teams. Raiders fall to 3-4. and four. Brian Hoyer got the start for the Raiders with Ooh. Jimmy Garoppolo hurt, uh, hurt once again. Aiden O'Connell did see some, some relief work. It was, a little, it was a little hit or miss. The story, of course, the Chicago Bears start Division 2 Rookie quarterback Tyson Bagent finishes 21 of 29 for a buck 62 and a touchdown. 5.6 yards per attempt. Deontay Foreman had the receiving touchdown, also finds the end zone twice on the ground. It is interesting when you have backup QBs, when the offense looks just completely different. And so much like you're just kind of describing Tyrod Taylor and the Giants, it's like, hey, it just looks different than when Daniel Jones ran it or when Andy Dalton comes in for Bryce Young. It looked different. This Bears offense looked completely different than the Justin Fields offense. I'm not saying it was necessarily better. I'm just saying the style was different, right? You had a quarterback who was hitting everything underneath. It was a bunch of little dink and dunk, and run game was effective, and uh, Bears get the win. You're saying the Bears should uh, bench Justin Fields for Tyson Bajan? Oh, I see what you've done there, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I know you're right. I mean, that's what's happening this week in Chicago, right? Is is Bajent the future? Oh, there's going to be some spicy takes out there. Is he the future in I, Chicago? Uh, I liked 
our buddy Greg Rosenthal tweet that even if the Raiders lose, these are valuable reps in Brian Hoyer's development. Yeah. <laughs> That's really good. just just a waste of everybody's time you sitting have, through a Brian Hoyer game. We have a lot of dedicated listeners. Um some new ones. But you have a long-standing take that you want nothing to do with the backup quarterback who we completely know who he is. No, it's Brian not that. Hoyer's no, in no, no, year no. 14 of his career. No. What my objection is, is the backup quarterback that actually cannot play games. That guy has no business being on an NFL roster because he's there essentially just for the work he does as a coach. He's there for the work he does in the meeting room, which doesn't require a roster spot being spent on him. Those guys I have no time for. Brian Hoyer is in a different category where he can play in games. And we saw the first time Aiden O'Connell played, that like the difference. So I think you kind of generally miscalculate uh, just how prone young, bad quarterbacks uh, can be at putting the ball in harm's way, right? Like I, you sort of genuinely, generally think that a bad quarterback is a bad quarterback, and what's the difference between four, five, six turnover-worthy plays in a game, right? I, I suspect if you're you're uh, underestimating the depths to which that can get to, and actually a really bad quarterback over a full game might have like ten turnover-worthy plays, and the difference between so. You tend to think of guys like Brian Hoyer. Well, he's not going to put the ball in harm's way. He will because he's not that good. But he'll put it in, the, in harm's way less than a guy like Aiden O'Connell who might go out there and throw like eight turnover-worthy plays. And at some point, the team looks at this and says, you know what, the rookie's not ready. At least with Brian Hoyer, we know there'll probably only be a couple of glaring bad plays. And we can live with that because that gives us a chance to win. It's just miserable, though. So... I don't like it, but it, it, I understand why those guys exist in a way that's different from like the last several years of Matt Castle's career where like you couldn't put him on the field. He couldn't play. So he's literally just chewing up a roster spot because he does good prep work or whatever. And that's just silly. Matt Castle's catching strays now. Yeah. Yeah. He always seems to. That's your example. I mean, that's one example. There's plenty of them. Um, yeah, so the uh, – the Raiders had been playing pretty well, you know, overachieving a little bit. This has to be, even with Hoyer at quarterback, this has to be a disappointment. The Bears had one of the worst defenses in the league. Now, on one hand, Bears defense did play much better. On the other hand, it was Brian Hoyer. You had um, <laughs> Devontae Adams. But, and then there are macro things, like, which is like Devontae Adams is a way better football player, especially relative to his position, than Brian Hoyer. Yes. But sometimes Brian Hoyer throws a perfect fade pass. I mean, that wasn't even close. Adam, I mean, Adams, was it Stevenson? Whoops, somebody on the yeah. route. He, and I, yeah, wrecked him off the, on the release. I, then, you don't see, like, usually the corners, you know, with, within a step on a fade. Yeah, this not was, this time. This was three to six steps right. of wide open, and Devontae Adams drops it. Sometimes the, worst, the better player lets down the worst player. And when all that adds up, you know, the, the Raiders get whooped. This, so remember Devontae Adams, we talked about it in the pregame, the, the, the pre preview show. Devontae Adams had been making comments about how, look, I just want to win the game, and clearly the best way for, for that to happen is for you to give me the ball all the time because I'm the best player here. And you're like, all right, I, I can see logic to that. So Devontae Adams had seven targets in the first quarter, all of which seemed to come in like the first drive. It was like they just, oh, Adams wants the ball more? Right, well, let's see how that works. And every play was just a target to Devontae Adams. Um, 
And to be fair, it was working for a while. And then they kind of went away from that. But And, you know, you got the Brian Hoyer performance. But it was, let me see, uh, first play, Brian Hoyer, short left to Devontae Adams. Second play, Brian Hoyer, short middle to Devontae Adams. Uh, third pass, Brian Hoyer, short left to Devontae Adams. Uh, fourth pass, Brian Hoyer, incomplete to Devontae Adams. And that was a pass breakup by Tyreek Stevenson. Uh, so literally the first four pass Keep plays. Keep going. I want you to read every play in the game. Just we'll- the pass plays. You don't need all oh. of them. So the first four plays were pass plays. First four pass plays were to Devontae Adams. They literally just went, oh, he wants the ball more? Let's see how that works. And I've never seen a more stark example of a guy like a receiver crying for the ball and then being answered immediately by, okay, cool. That works for us. Yeah. Squeaky wheel game, Sam. Squeaky-ish wheel. Um, yeah, credit the Bears. What would you think of Bajan's performance? It was, again, the the stats don't jump off the stat sheet or anything like that, but it was completely different, right? Whereas a, a Justin Fields isn't really thrown underneath a lot. It's a lot more boom or bust. He's going to take a lot of sacks and also get the ball down the field. Bajan, you know, hits Deontay Foreman underneath, and Foreman breaks a tackle, gets into the end zone for a touchdown. A lot of underneath stuff for the Bears here. A lot of underneath stuff. It was one of those kind of it's yeah, it's the exact opposite of a Justin Fields performance. It's like quietly efficient and understated. And if you don't make a big mistake, that that works. It's like yeah. it's pretty good. Um, the problem with like this, remember last time Bajan played, it's like who's another one of those guys where the narrative was, well, outside of the glaring mistake, it was pretty good. Well, this was that game, right? You didn't have the glaring mistake, so it was generally pretty good. That was your take. That's what you said. That's what I mean. Like Ignore that, the two bad plays. And yeah. It was not bad. Well, this was that game where you didn't have those two bad plays that you had to ignore, so it was generally pretty good. Um, and he made a few of those kind of uh, high leverage plays. He had a couple of scrambles in there that were good. He after a touchdown he's like working the crowd you know early on he's like getting the crowd involved i i kind of like bajan's moxie you know i think he's got a little bit of swag to him the the guy from where he's from has no business having (laughs) oh i mean division two they kept saying he'd won the division two heisman which because you have to say the division two heisman because nobody even knows what the hell that is don't mock as a former division two preseason all-american right do not mock Division two. Do you know what the Division two Heisman is actually called? No. Then shut up. I just I just want to stand up for other fellow Division two athletes. Yeah. Okay. As a former Division two professional athlete, and yes, I was a preseason All American in two thousand three. I was not a postseason All American, but a preseason <laughs> All American per Baseball America. Okay. In two thousand three. <laughs> I need to start putting that on the resume. Yeah, right next pre-season, to the Hall of Famers. Preseason Division II All-American. Does, this, does that count as All-American? I, what the hell do I know? I got to find that. It's an old uh, Baseball America issue. I was very excited. Uh-huh. Coming off a Division World Division II World Series performance, and they were like, just pick the, pick the guy with the most wins on this team. We'll make him a preseason All-American. There it is. That okay. was me. Um, so I appreciate Bajan. you got to have some moxie if you're a Division II player. Yeah. Right? Last year at this team, he's just playing D2 games. You know? Winning the D2 Heisman that nobody knows Winning the D2 is. Heisman. Um, I think our guy Thor Nystrom, too, too, said something like, you know, in the playoffs, you sacked like eight times and got wrecked in the D2 playoffs or yeah. whatever. Did he win? I don't remember. <laughs> I was winning games here. 
in the NFL. Um, Deontay Foreman had a great game. I wanted to highlight, yeah, Foreman and then Darrington Evans. I mean, third and fourth string, basically, right? You don't have uh, Khalil Herbert. You don't have um, Roshan Johnson. Johnson. And, you know, you just never know when Deontay Foreman's going to look like he did five years ago. Yeah. And looking really even last year. I mean, he had a few of those games he last year. He did have some of those games last year. You just never, you never know when they're going to pop up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, impressive all-around win by the Bears. Shout out to uh, Jaquan Brisker as well with a really nice game for the Bears at safety. Flying downhill, making plays in the pass game and the run game. And uh, Gervin Dexter with a good game. Yeah. So and Tyree Wilson. I want to highlight go. all the non-model guys. Go ahead. Tyree Wilson. Tyree Wilson update. Gets his first career sack. It was on a Hail Mary attempt. Yes, by... Nathan oh, who, Peterman. Oh, by Peterman. Yeah. How bad is Bajan's arm that Peterman is the... He seems to be like... Didn't he get a Hail Mary attempt last year or the year before from... Again, same idea. Like the designated Hail Mary guy. Does Peterman have like a weirdly insane arm that I'm not aware of? No. I think what's happening is there's an inside joke around the NFL where Peterman's career <laughs> stat line is so bad. <laughs> they were like, let's get him out there for the Hail Mary... <laughs> Can he, you know, can he average an interception every other throw? Can we get to where Nathan Peterman's career stat? Somebody, this is why these shows go long. The entire league is colluding to ensure that Nathan Peterman's passer rating just stays at zero Let's for his for entire show. career. He has a, this is good, this is good stuff, Sam. <laughs> he has a career passer, so his career passer rating is 39.4. Well, that, okay. How about that? Yeah. Four touchdowns, 13 picks. Ow. In his career. Somebody out there. Is throwing Peterman in there for the for the chuckles. But we actually need interceptions because just incomplete passes is going to actually raise his passer rating. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Had he just thrown the ball away, the passer rating would would have gone up. Would have gone up. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Peterman is like running to the left and just spends his life trying to wait for this pass to manufacture. And by the time he actually gets it out of his hand, he got sacked by Tyree Wilson. Um, that was so. Our, our friend Josh Dubow from the AP. Tyree Wilson had been the only top 10 draft defensive lineman slash edge rusher in the last 15 years with zero quarterback hits, zero sacks, and zero tackles for loss in the first six games of his career. Wow. And he's the first first-round pick to catch that many strays six straight weeks uh, on the PFF NFL podcast. I mean, non-model guy. Well, you have to highlight the non-model guys. We were pointing, I mean, we pointed this out to Trev, right? Like, when you rocked up there and put him, like, 127th in your, I heard you talk your about it, yeah. big board, and we were like, no, you can't, that's too far. That's too bad. You can't do that. You're making us look silly. Maybe he is the 127th best player in the draft. He turned the corner, got the sack yesterday. Oh, yeah? Good win. Other crazy Bears. stat in this draft, oh. or other cra- crazy stat in this game. I don't know how far this pushed. This was just a, one of those graphics that pops up on the screen during the game. Mass Crosby had played 233 consecutive defensive snaps, which apparently is the longest streak in the NFL among defensive linemen since at least 2016. You know what the last player to do that was? Uh, Chandler Jones. No, Olivier Vernon. Olivier Vernon, huh? At 280 back in 2016. Impressive. That's insane. 233 or 280 consecutive snaps from a defensive lineman is bananas. Yeah, at a at a position that usually rotates. Well, particularly, yeah. yeah. I mean, some teams, you know, those guys are playing 50% of the snaps, whereas Crosby is playing every snap. Yeah, that is. That is really impressive. Bears move to 2-5. and five. Raiders fall to 3-4. and four. Gonna tell you about our partners 
AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Drink it every single day here on the PFF NFL podcast. I gave AG1 a try because need those nutrients, Sam. Need those nutrients every single morning. Take it with my coffee. Makes me feel great. Great way to start the day. That's it. All great athletes like former Division II preseason All-Americans have one thing in common. They take care of their bodies, and a huge part of that starts with optimizing whole body health. A lot of them, athletes, they drink AG1, and that's why I'm a huge fan. With every daily serving, we're setting ourselves up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give us the key daily nutrients to support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. It's this micro habit that delivers macro benefits and helps just about everybody take great care of their health every single day. And covering those nutritional bases for the day literally couldn't be easier, which is why I trust AG1. You just mix one small scoop with water, drink it first thing every morning, and you're done. I also love that it costs less than $3 a day. Pretty good, if you ask me. It's a really daily effective habit with high-quality sourced ingredients. A win-win for all of us here on the PFF NFL Podcast. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. So you just have to go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag1.com slash PFF. Be sure to check it out. On to the 4 o'clock games here, Sam. Starting with... The 4-2 Pittsburgh Steelers, 24, Los Angeles Rams, 17. Steelers, much like the Browns, move to 4-2. and two. In another one where you come out of... The first comment in the YouTube chat today was, how did the Steelers win? It's every week. Every single win, yeah. week. Um, but yeah, Kenny Pickett and George Pickens once again make plays down the stretch. Yep. And uh, TJ Watt. Didn't do a whole lot as a pass rusher, but had an outstanding interception to kick off the second half. Great play. Um, I mean, really a great play. Just a simple little uh, return route, a little in-and-out route, and Watt, who was dropping into coverage on a three-man rush, just boom. Jumps it. Jumps it like a DB. Awesome play by T.J. Watt, and that facilitated the Steelers' comeback. Yeah, it's also like – so – this was like an encapsulation of both both team seasons. The Steelers somehow are in these games where you're like, how how are they winning this game? And then the Rams, for as well as Stafford is playing and as as well as some of the receivers make plays, they don't actually score. So like when you look at Matthew Stafford's no, they don't. I don't. stats for the season, yeah. it's like I did, I only we were, you were talking about how you don't even look at guys sort of box score numbers, right? Yeah. I. I looked at Stafford's during the week, and it's like, what? He's got like five touchdowns, six now, right? Yeah, it's we like, broke it down on the preview show. I can't believe Stafford's stats are that bad. Right. The idea that Stafford doesn't have like 15 touchdowns this season is insane, given how he's been playing. So, again, Stafford's out here. There's a few nice passes. Puka Nakua's making crazy plays. Um, there's a few ridiculous plays left, right, center. And you're like, but they're not actually scoring. Yeah. And the longer that goes on the more chance there is that Pittsburgh does and eventually, you know, is leading the game and then wins. It is just, you know, from that perspective of, you know, watching multiple games at the same time, it did feel like every time I'm looking up, Puku is making a play. He had another ridiculous catch along the sideline. Another, you know, the toe-heel moment, Sam, that you like to mm-hmm. that you like to talk about. Um, Such a stupid rule. But also, Puka just looks fast, too. I mean, I, again, the Rams scored 17 points and, and they lost the game. So I don't want to sit here and you know just talk them up like they just scored thirty and one. But um, 
Puka looked even better than he did earlier in the season. Outrunning every now, the defense finishes with a buck fifty-four on eight catches. Um, well, also um, he out-targeted Cooper Cup by a distance. He had double the number of targets Cooper Cup did. Cup had a twenty-four yarder in there. A couple drops early on, back-to-back drops. Right. But remember, like you know, people were as soon as Cooper Cup gets back, you know, Nakua is going to disappear. They quite clearly a can coexist and actually. In a game like this, like Nakua ends up getting 12 targets to Cup six, and obviously had way more uh, production as well. In part because the Cups dropped, but not only can they coexist, but Nakua can still be the primary receiver in a, in a given game. This was also one of the games where our our pregame narrative wasn't necessarily correct. The Rams' offensive line didn't necessarily collapse. Like I said, T.J. Watt was not a dominant pass rusher in this game whatsoever. Nate Herbig. Um, Nick Herbig. Nick, dude, yeah. Nick Herbig comes in, gets a nice sack early on. Um, but other than that, like the Rams' offensive line played great or played played well from a pass pro standpoint. That's usually what helps the Rams' offense collapse. But, yeah, the Steelers made big plays. The T.J. Watt thing was huge, that interception. Mm. Um, and then offensively, again, why does it feel uncomfortable? Because the Steelers' offense kind of trudges along for much of the game and then – Basically, Jalen Warren makes some plays, and George Pickett, uh, Pickens makes some plays, and and that's the other. I think that's the other part that makes it. And, and Deontay Johnson with a huge play, yeah, um, in the comeback attempt. Deontay jo- Deontay Johnson coming back um, is a big boost for this team. We mentioned that he's usually in a possession type of role, but he has that big gain on you know in the fourth quarter uh, for the Steelers. George Pickens has a huge gain when. Um, the Steelers are trying to run out the clock when they're when they're leading. Uh, we'll get to the last play, the QB sneak, to end the game in a minute. But for what you want to say about the Steelers' offense schematically, it still comes down to like when Pickens makes plays on the outside, and you have Deontay Johnson, and you have Jalen Warren making some plays. That's when they look much better. That's part of the reason why we kind of liked the Steelers before the season because we know these playmakers are are effective. Yeah. The, it... <laughs> That is the story for Pittsburgh this year is that the scheme is still rough. The scheme is bad. Um, but they do have a really good collection of playmakers. And they're deep as well. Like, okay, sometimes these guys don't look great when players are missing or, you know, they're, they're sort of artificially high on the depth chart or the pecking order relative to where they should be. But, like, Connor Hayward made some plays in this game as well. And, I, you know. When they've got Pickens, Hayward, Deontay Johnson, Najee Harris is still a good player, Jalen Warren, Calvin Austin barely played in this game, but we've seen the plays that he can make earlier in the season. This is a good collection of talented playmakers that can cause real problems for anybody, um, and they can overcome bad scheme. Like, they can just win one-on-one. There are schemes out there that don't put their players in a particularly good position, but basically just go... This is what we do. Go out there and beat your guy. And that's kind of what the Steelers are asking these guys to do. And they're good enough to get that done sometimes. Um, But when it works, it looks good because they're able to just – like George Pickens is a beast when when the ball goes in his general direction. And even in this game, like he ends up with over 100 yards uh, and makes a few plays. He was really close to making another couple as well. Yeah. And Pickens, you know, he looks faster, a little bit quicker this year as well. He's not just a – a contested catch guy this year. Remember, he started off terrible with the contested catches, but it's back, right? I and mean, the what are the big plays the Steelers had? Back shoulder to Pickens, 
Pickett makes a great throw up the seam to Pickens with about three minutes left in the fourth quarter, under pressure, gets the ball to him. Um, and I mentioned that Deontay Johnson play, beginning of the fourth quarter, Pickett hits him, and Deontay Johnson runs away from the defense for, for a 39-yarder. And that was when the Steelers only had 10 points, right? So they're down 17-10. to 10. Deontay Johnson makes the big play, gets them into range. Jalen Warren finds the end zone. So, yeah, to me, the story is Steelers playmakers make some plays. And they did just enough defensively to take Cup out of the game. Puka Nakua got his, but the Rams are the team that's starting to look decent on paper as far as Stafford, as playmakers, the way Stafford's throwing the ball. But to your point, they're not able to find the end zone whatsoever. Um, and then the final sequence of the game, Steelers go for it. There was a lot of these, Sam. There was a lot of these. Where well, just were before that, though. So – it's third and eight. Um, he took a shot to Deontay Johnson. Witherspoon breaks it up, and they call pass interference on it, which looked like a pretty weak pass interference call. I thought that was a really bad pass interference call. Yeah. Anyway, that's basically the game, that first down. Um, but then Deontay Johnson gets flagged for taunting on that pass interference call, which makes it now it's an offsetting call. Now it's a do-over, yeah. and it doesn't count. They went from... Game's basically done. You just got a first down through pass interference to it's offsetting penalties. We do third and eight all over again. That is one of the worst penalties you will see anybody commit in the course of an NFL season. So they go for it again, third and eight. They only pick up seven, and now you're in that fourth and one situation where you decide, do we go for it, try and pick up the first down and end the game. Where do they need to get to? I'm trying to rewatch this play. So Pickett goes QB sneak. At this time, the Rams have no timeouts. So it's in there's and it's 224 left in the fourth quarter. So the Steelers are in this position, which we see a lot during the week now, or during the you know every single week, one play away from winning. It's right. fourth down. It wasn't in their own territory or anything. It was on the fringe of field goal range. It wasn't a crazy decision by Tomlin. It was pretty reasonable, and it looks like Pickett just falls <laughs> straight down to the ground. He kind of looked short. Yeah, they called him short initially, right? I think so. And then they said, nope, got it. And the Rams couldn't challenge because the play clock, I mean, the, the game clock, you know, goes down to two minutes, but the play itself was not inside of two minutes, so it's right. not an automatic challenge. And the Rams had no timeout, so they couldn't challenge it. it yeah, it, it, he looked way short, and I couldn't work out whether the spot was bizarrely generous or the, the unofficial first down line on the TV was just way off, which you see every now and again, right, the yellow line. They've just got it drawn like half a yard in the wrong place. Right. I don't know if that was the case or if they gave him a bizarrely generous spot. But he he went down. He looked. He did the Matthew Stafford sneak, right, where the quarterback just kind of like drops instead of like barring forward. Yeah. It was terrible. Uh, it didn't look like he got it at all. And then somehow they gave him the first down. Game over. Uh, he got in the end zone on a sneak earlier. That was a sneak, right? The uh, Pickett's earlier touchdown. He, I mean, remember last year it was like, wow, the Steelers. <laughs> The Steelers' offense is so good now they can sneak it. You know, it added this whole new dimension because Kenny Pickett a is, a, world. is a is a QB sneak guy. Big Ben would never do that. Mm. Um, but, yeah, this wasn't his best sneak, but apparently it still worked. So our preseason Steelers hype was correct, Sam. They're 4-2. The first sneak, by the way, kind of did a similar thing. Like his, his sneak technique appears to be to just kind of launch himself low, just 
generally throw yourself towards the B gap. He's a little, he's got some spastic movement. <laughs> a little spastic, spastic sneaker, but it worked. <laughs> it's, it'd be, you, should, you should go watch his touchdown sneak. It's pretty funny. That's what, like, yeah, he's, uh, he's kind of like when Sam Howell runs. Let me go check it out again. Let's, let's all watch it together. <laughs> let's all watch it, except nobody else except can. Except nobody can see you it. And me. Yeah, every, when I was watching him yesterday, that, was, that did kind of come to mind. Like he's kind of kind of crazy looking. It's not the best sneak technique in the world. In fact, it looks like he's been watching Matthew Stafford's sneak technique, which is the worst thing you can oh, possibly do. Oh, what is that? Do. Yeah. Yeah. It's not oh, great. Oh, so the, the, yeah. The touchdown one, it was because, who was it? Uh, Sayamalu actually makes a decent block on it. So I think he was like, initially, he was waiting for contact and it wasn't there. He tried to like throw his shoulder into a defensive tackle who didn't exist because the block was actually good. No, that, that was a good B-gap sneak. This is why I'm saying you don't necessarily need the tush-push, right? You have multiple sneak techniques. You can A-gap it. If A's taken, you can go B. Well, remember, there was a period of time where, like, Tom Brady was unstoppable just on the quarterback sneak. We right. didn't need the... this is what I'm saying. You have, you have multiple techniques. Right. We you didn't can burrow on the goal line. You can go over the top. But wasn't there... You a... can go B-gap. And if all of that's taken, you can run wide zone. Like, like the... that's how you... That's your QB sneak package. The Eagles are running this thing at, like, a 90% success rate, right? Wasn't Brady ahead of that for most of his career, just in terms of regular quarterback sneaks? Nobody was yes. campaigning to ban the quarterback sneak just because Brady was unstoppable. Well, they want to ban this for injury purposes. No, that's what they're saying they want to ban it. Nobody actually wants to ban it for injury purposes. Everyone wants to ban it because the Eagles are too good at it. Because it's boring. It's boring. Like, we're going to dress this up as Football a safety concern. Football players don't concern. like rugby. We're going to dress this up as a safety concern. But really, the problem is we don't like that the Eagles are doing it and we don't like the play. All right. Uh, Seattle Seahawks 20, Arizona Cardinals 10. Uh, Seahawks cover the spread. We go to four and two. By the way, as of right now, I think I have two wins on the week, maybe one. That's not great. This was like a last year throwback. <laughs> this was my only win. This is why it comes up. This is, I think, think this is the only game I picked correct. I might have one win That's this rough. entire week, but you have like three. Yeah. And week. then Harry has seven. Um, there were a lot of games that didn't make any freaking sense. Yeah, there were. Seattle, 20 to 10. They moved to four and two. Cardinals move to one and six. Mm hmm. Got away from them in the second half again. It did. It was a classic Cardinals game. Like, they got down early, and then they fought back. Nah, we're not going quietly into the night. Yeah. And we made it a tough game, and then eventually the better team just pulls away. Well, Geno Smith did the. Geno Smith made some beautiful throws in this game, but he had the same old, you know, red zone. Bad, another bad red zone interception by Geno Smith. Second one in two weeks for him. Um, after not throwing one last year, despite leading the league in turn of worthy plays in the red zone. Um, but, like I said, Gino also had some nice plays in here. Jake Bobo with that beautiful touchdown that was mm -hmm. in the end zone on a contested catch. Jackson Smith and Jigba with a touchdown in there as well. So you started to get some rookie contributions from the Seahawks passing attack. Bobo over Starling Thomas, the fifth, right? Fourth? Fifth? Which I think, I think he's the fifth. Fifth? Yes. Um, was like an undrafted free agent bowl. I love it. Taking yeah. place down there. Uh, so the Jake Bobo touchdown. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna keep it short. There's not much else to talk about in this game, so you have a <laughs> five, little bit of leeway minutes. to get into the uh, into okay. the discussion here. I forget who was earlier this season, but somebody had the classic toe heel uh, catching the ball, sort of backing up, going out of the end zone backwards play. 
I, I can't remember who it was, but they had like the perfect example where they caught the ball, came down, and their toes were in bounds, right? And then they're they're because you when you land like that, your heel then comes down, and the heel comes down out of bounds by NFL rule. That is an incomplete pass, right? But apparently, if you do that facing any other direction, and your foot comes down in any other aspect, it's okay. So we are. I already thought it was ridiculous that. If your toe comes down backwards and then your heel comes down, it's incomplete. But if your toe comes down forwards and nothing else comes down, it's complete. To me, that's a kind of silly divergence of the rules. It's even more ridiculous when what happened yesterday in this game and the Pukunakua catch happened, which is the exact same thing as the toe-heel thing backwards but facing in a different direction. So Bobo comes down, he gets a toe down inbounds, and then his foot comes down sideways, uh, not backwards, sideways, yeah. out of bounds. Apparently, that's cool. That's okay. Uh, and Nakua, the same thing. His was even more close to being backwards, but it was toe comes down. You can freeze frame it, and the toe is down. There's grass around the foot. It's in bounds, and then the foot collapses sort of sideways and backwards, and apparently that doesn't count. So we have this ridiculous rule where if you're facing any other direction – and your toe hits first inbounds, and then the foot comes down out of bounds, it's okay. That's toe drag. That's elite, that's elite receiver play. But if you're facing backwards and your toes land inbounds, like there's a gap between that and anything else coming down, and then your heel comes down out of bounds, that's incomplete. Your foot came down out of bounds. That's just dumb. That's an idiotic, like inconsistent rule that makes no sense. And that we've now seen... I don't think I've ever seen before in the same season, like, so clear an example of, like, this one is out of bounds and this one is inbounds, and it's the same play, just facing a different direction. We got two of them this week, and I forget who the, had the play earlier in the season when it was the perfect toe-heel thing. But I was kind of surprised that both these plays stood on replay. They both looked at him, and they were like, nope, that's, that's good, that's fine. The Kua's one and the Jake Bobo play to me, all of them should be touchdowns, but apparently they're not. Well explained, Sam. I mean, I think the way you just explained it, it's, it's clear as day. You have been able to explain the, the, the ability to distinguish between what a touchdown is or what a catch is and what a catch isn't. So the fact that we have clear and defined rules tells me it's fine. We have clear and defined rules. But the rules are dumb. Yeah. They shouldn't be like that. You disagree with the rules. The rule, like, it should be if, if a part of your foot to establish, you know, being in bounds comes down and it's in the end zone and there's nothing out of bounds, it should be a touchdown. The fact that your heel subsequently comes down out of bounds is irrelevant as clearly demonstrated by the fact that it is on this play. Like, if the heel was something that made you, like... All of your foot needs to be down in bounds. Number one, there would be no toe drag swag plays ever, which is dumb. And number two, plays like this would be illegal. Since they're not, how can you call it out of bounds when it happens going backwards? So you want to lean on the cool rule here again. Not even the cool rule. Like, we already do this for every other play than the one that isn't called that way. Like, it's just a, it's a bizarre, dumb, illogical exception. Uh, Devin Witherspoon's still awesome. Yes. For the Seahawks. He is a throwback to, like, late 90s, early 2000s corners where those guys were, like, hitting, were 
violent, aggressive, physical, in addition to being good cover guys. Like, he reminds me of, you know, players like Antoine Winfield, like the original, the senior. Like he's that type of corner. Yeah, I don't like throwing Antoine Winfield comps around because um, he was he was unique, and I also gave Tyron Matthew that comp as well <laughs> coming out. But yeah, Antoine Winfield, for those who don't remember, he could play outside, but then he, when he found his home in the slot, he really was like an extra linebacker there. And so Witherspoon so far this year has played outside. He's played in the slot. He has a 90-run defense grade yeah. this year. Which is very Winfield-like. Which is, which is very Winfield-like. And, and that's because Witherspoon loves to hit. Yes. And what you described in the draft process is his anticipation right. to be in the right place. But that, that's the thing. The thing that separated Winfield from even other physical corners at the time is I don't know how many times I've seen a defense where the physical tone setter was a cornerback. You know, usually that's a linebacker or a defensive lineman or a cam chancellor safety, like the guy who makes that hit that sort of gets everybody jazzed and gets like the, the defense, you know, headed in the right direction is very rarely a corner. Winfield was the physical tone setter of that Vikings defense. He was going to make, he would shut down like the screen game or the, anything short or runs to his side of the field at corner. He was the guy that would stuff them. That's what Witherspoon does. Like Witherspoon is making these hits that get everybody on defense going wild because they're nuts. Uh, Witherspoon had an interception negated in the end zone. And that was, you know, the explosive play, you know, the, the big hits and everything you're talking about. This was just a really nice zone play where he just read it and caught the underthrow, ends up getting negated. But, yeah, he was flying around, making plays, breaking up passes. And as we mentioned, gets dirty in the run game. You can blitz him. Witherspoon, outstanding once again mm-hmm. for the Seahawks. Uh, the Barbarian had a fumble recovery, fumble uh, punt return, fumble recovery. No sacks in a while, though. No. No sacks. Well, look, you gotta when when things aren't going your way as a pass rusher, you gotta lean back on your special teams, you know, expertise. Yes, of course. Um, yeah, the as much as I complain about the rules thing, the Jake Bobo catch, by the way, was spectacular. Like, oh yeah, give kudos to that. That was, that was um, awesome. The Josh Dobbs scored a touchdown, I think, on a run where this drives me nuts from defenders. Like the plays where they just hit people rather than tackle. Like, he scored a touchdown where I think he gained 10 more yards because Tariq Woolen just tried to shoulder charge him. You're like, that's not going to tackle most NFL players because they can bounce. Like, if you don't actually wrap and try and bring the guy to the ground, and by the way, there's no reason not to in this scenario. The only reason to not try and wrap and tackle the guy is if you're going for, like, a punch on the ball and trying to spring it loose, or the hit is going to blast him out of bounds. But if you're just like hitting him in the open field with room to run, there's a pretty good chance that he's just going to bounce off your hit because you don't weigh, you know, 280 pounds. You're not like LT out there. You're not going to deliver the kind of hit that's going to like completely declete him. And if he stays on his feet, you've just given up a touchdown rather than setting him up first and goal from the 10. It is interesting the difference. Remember last year at this time, Tariq Woolen had a bunch of interceptions, a whole bunch of big plays as a 6'4", long, athletic corner, and people wanted to put him in the Sauce Gardner Defensive Rookie of the Year conversation. And honestly, one of the things that kept him out of there was his missed tackles, Woolen, missed tackles and the way he played the run, kind of the opposite of what we just talked up, 
about Devin Witherspoon. Obviously, a corner's number one role is covering, is playing coverage. But because we're grading every player on every play, you do kind of highlight those. They show up in the grade, and Woolen has never really been a great run defender. But Witherspoon is a just an all-around force so far for the yeah, Seahawks. I, it's actually a worse play than I thought it was now that I've just watched it again. He hits him at the 15-yard line, and he actually has to deliberately avoid tackling him. Like, he's coming in from the side with a perfect angle to just two arms round, wrap tackle. Josh Dobbs is down at the 15-yard line. Instead, he actually turns himself away from Dobbs to be able to lead in and try and shoulder him, which actually punts him past... Uh, Quandre digs the safety, who then misses a tackle as well. It's just terrible defense. Like, that's... Remember, we were talking about Winfield a minute ago. Like, Antoine Winfield makes a simple wrap tackle. Everyone's like, see, good run defender, solid play. And you, the, the defense now has a chance to make a stand on, you know, from the 15-yard line in the red zone. Instead, because Tariq Woolen just tries to shoulder bump him out of the way, it's a touchdown. You good now? Yeah. Hate plays like that. Hate it. Just tackle the guy. Don't hit him. Tackle. Was it worth five minutes? Yes. All right, cool. Denver Broncos, 19. Green Bay Packers, 17. Broncos, another 1-5 team. Moving to 2-5 with the win. Packers fall to 2-4. Mm-hmm. Uh, Broncos defense. Look, I, I said for you know the preview show here, the Broncos defense was historically bad. And there's two ways of looking at that. On one hand, you know, we're, we're chasing history. On the other hand, it can't be that bad the whole time. And so the Broncos defense played much better in this game. Another weird game where you had some, you know, Packers, one of their, their two touchdowns, right, in a contested possession in the end zone and a drop that lands in, uh, was it Jaden Reed's hands or did Jaden Reed drop it? No, Dobbs dropped it. Reed. Dobbs dropped it. Reed caught the touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, so Packers' two touchdowns were um, kind of half catches. Half <laughs> catches. Yeah. Uh, Broncos win it 19 to 17. There were a lot of people wanting the Dobbs touchdown. So it was one of those sort of simultaneous possession plays. You know, they both go down clutching the ball and like, simultaneous possession goes to the offense. Uh, there were people wanting that to be an interception because – Sertan kind of got there first, and they're like, the second he hits two feet down in the end zone, that's his ball. Interception. Plays over. Like, is it, though? I mean, technically, maybe, but it's never been called that way, really, other than the only time it was actually called that way was the, wasn't that the ridiculous replacement refs thing where that's kind of how they came to that conclusion, right, is he got the ball slightly first and had two feet down, therefore it's, it's his. Yeah. And everyone was like, that's ridiculous. That was the, if I remember correctly, the very last play. It was 2012, week three. It was the very last play of the replacement refs. Yes. This is what ended the replacement refs then. They did three weeks. That's how bad the call was. They may have missed a field goal, good, you know, (laughs) call the night before in Patriots Ravens, I think it was. And then Monday Night Football, everybody's watching. They do the contested possession thing and by by tuesday or wednesday like all right refs are back yeah so i i don't think you tend to see it called that way even if technically that might be true uh i think this was the right call simultaneous possession offensive touchdown um and yeah so it was a strange game where we'd been kind of saying before that 
this group by the Packers are so inexperienced and not necessarily amazing across the board that they're all making mistakes and they can't really overcome those mistakes collectively. Well, they did in a couple of plays. Like, you know, Romeo Dobbs drops the ball, Jaden Reed catches it. Yeah. So he overcame the mistake of his teammate, uh, but it still wasn't enough to win the game overall. Yeah, I mean, you just feel – I mean, so I, I see Packers fans um, kind of complaining about the lack of experience. And I think when we did our preview shows for the season and after seeing Green Bay in person, mm. you, you could see why maybe a year from now the Packers offense is really intriguing. Because, yeah, Jaden Reed has some playmaking ability and Luke Musgrave is a big-body tight end who can move. And, look, Romeo Dobbs – is just I don't know what to do with Dobbs because he's just an inconsistent football player, but you certainly see the ability, right? You see the body control. You see some just a great feel for the position sometimes, and then other times it's like, yeah, dropping passes, and, and it's, it's just not there. And Christian Watson, as much as I'm blinded by speed and big playability, how many times is Christian Watson just – not in the right place at the right time. I thought he really screwed um, Jordan Love on an interception uh, on the Monday Night Football game against the Raiders where the subtle parts of receiver where you're just not working back to the ball, you're not running the route at the right uh, at the right angle or at the right depth. Christian Watson has some of that as much as, hey, man, when he gets behind the defense, he's creating big play opportunities. All of those guys are in year one or two. And... It does, you know, it did make me think maybe a year from now the Packers' offense will be there. And I think we're starting to see some of those growing pains over these last few weeks for the Packers after a really exciting start to the season, weeks one and two. Yeah, there's just too much not going well for them at the moment. And they're not, they're not able to overcome most of those mistakes, even if they got a couple of them in the game. Um, the other thing, the other notable thing from this game is Kareem Jackson ejected. He's now been fined over ninety thousand dollars this season. Yeah, man, he—that's an amazing. He volume. had. Um, was it just off that one hit? Yeah, they ejected him for that hit. I thought so. This is all relative here. I forget which weeks it was, but earlier in the year, Kareem Jackson had two egregious hits. Yeah, like helmet to helmet, defenseless receiver, just really bad hits. It was like, dude, what are you doing at this point? I didn't think this one. It was on Musgrave. Yes, I didn't think this one was. As bad as the ones earlier this year, there was probably a penalty. He was defenseless, but I mean, it was you leading with the shoulder. It may have not hit the helmet that much. Right? I don't know. So this this, this one was a lot closer than what Kareem Jackson was doing earlier in the season. Is my point? This yeah, this one. So it was bad, and it was a it was a penalty. I don't think I'd have ejected him for it. But this was one of those classic ones where in rugby they would use the term mitigation, right? Like it's generally. It's kind of a zero tolerance thing in terms of a strict liability, right? You hit him in the head, therefore it's a penalty. But how severe the punishment is, we, we start to factor in mitigation. And one of the areas of mitigation is, was there a sudden change in height from the guy that got hit in the head, right? Like, did he drop into the hit, essentially, as opposed to did you hit him at head height the whole way? Musgrave catches this ball, and it's kind of spinning around. And in the course of spinning around, like, falls right so he drops like a foot in height as jackson is already like predetermined that he's going to annihilate him with a hit so is it reckless and dangerous and all those kinds of things yes but did he crack him in the head because musgrave dropped a foot in height before he hit him also yes so i would agree with you like 
Look, Jackson has history, extensive history, apparently. Uh, has been fined over $90,000 already this year. I, you don't give him the benefit of the doubt at that point. Like, he's already used up all of that. But this was far from the worst thing he's done this year. Yeah, if, if rugby's using mitigation, the NFL says you control your helmet. Right. The right? NFL the, uses no mitigation. The NFL rule is actually pretty black and white mm-hmm. because it's challenging making these calls. But it also defies the laws of physics, right? There is no mitigation. So, anyway, uh, Packers still had an opportunity, right? The Broncos had a, a game-winning t- a game-winning field goal or a game go-ahead field goal. Packers had a game-winning drive attempt. Elkin Jenkins puts him in a hole with a holding penalty. Second and 20, Jordan Love misses a pass. And then it's third and 20, and Love just kind of heaves it up. Terrible interception. I mean, it was, but it's also third and 20. Now, I'm watching the play. What else do you have there? When, when, so when we, I, I think the fourth quarter comeback stat as a whole, like I kind of like it because it does, it does talk a little bit about game flow and there's some luck involved, but game flow and taking chances properly and everything. On third and 20, like Love has a short side of the field out route for probably 10. That probably gets you into like a fourth and 10, fourth and eight type of situation. And then you... Like, you didn't have to make this play yet. You had a buck 52 left in the game. You didn't have to heave it just yet. I didn't even have a problem with the decision, but throw it earlier. Like, it's kind of open. He's got a route that's going to run. Like, the guy he's trying to beat is the other safety, not the one that picks it off, right? So when he looks at this... It's horribly underthrown, but that's never on. But it's horribly underthrown because it's so late. Like, he throws it... He's waiting until his guy essentially is running past the safety that he's trying to beat before he wants to put the ball in the air. If he throws that ball 10 yards earlier, it's probably going to beat the safety that he's trying to beat, and it's going to be so early that the other guy doesn't get a chance to come over and make the play anyway. I don't even necessarily have a problem with the, the decision. I just think he's way late on it. Yeah, either way. It's pretty poor from a Packers perspective, and the uh... – Broncos played a much better game defensively. Baron Browning uh, looked much more like that random month where Baron Browning looked like the best <laughs> defensive end in the NFL. The Is he Mr. Rusher. October? Wasn't it around this time last year? Maybe. Uh, so Baron Browning had a bunch of nice plays. Rashawn Gary continues to look like one of the best pass rushers in the entire NFL. He's pretty close, I think, at this point to being like full workload again. They've really eased him back into it over the first third of the season. He played basically the same amount of snaps as Preston Smith at this point. I don't know if that's the max or if there's still another few plays to go, but Gary is – I think he has the highest pass rush win rate in the NFL at the moment. He does. I did uh, – two things I looked up yesterday. Rashawn Gary, pass rush win rate, best in the NFL, best we've seen um, in history over a certain sample size. He's on pace. I mean, it's early in the season, but it's just per- for perspective purposes – as well, because I was looking up Miles Garrett pass rush grade. Miles Garrett's on pace to crush the best pass rush grade we've given to an edge defender in history. Um, other side, Javante Williams looked pretty good. You know, the run game for, for Denver, Jalen McLaughlin, usually, you know, the usual five for 45 yards, you know, because that's just what he does. And Russ played a, a pretty clean game. Mm-hmm. So Broncos move to two and five. Two more games to discuss. Kansas City Chiefs 31 Los Angeles Chargers 17. Chiefs move to 6-1 and one on the season. Full control of the AFC right now. And then the Chargers fall to 2-4. and four. 
Mahomes um, finishes with a ridiculous game, had over 300 yards in the first half. He goes 32 for 42 for 424, four touchdowns, had a pick in there as well. And then Travis Kelsey, 12 catches for a buck 79. Felt like he was just wide open over the middle of the field, just sitting there by himself for the majority of the game. Uh, PFF senior senior analyst Ben Stockwell said he was giving me a little breakdown on the Chargers' defensive game plan as he was grinding the film here. Uh-huh. It was either triple team Kelsey, which mm. they did it. They did a lot more of that in the second half. <laughs> it was either triple team Kelsey or leave him wide open. Hmm. But uh, he was he was quite open in the middle of the field. Yeah, for a lot of the game. I I kind of understand how he gets so open a lot because of the way those two operate. You know, the sort of ad lib, find space just adjust into the space like there's a degree to which it's difficult to stop that because if you're playing zone effectively he has license to just go where the space is right and it's it's quite difficult to shut shut that down as a defense without compromising everything else um so i kind of get how he consistently gets that open what i'm confused by is actually how the rest of the play is designed that doesn't foul up his space like how does he consistently find space without there being anybody else dragging defenders into it it's almost like the entire play is designed you know like a clear out route we're going to send this guy vertically and that's going to drag some defenders out of the way and then there'll be a gap in the middle it's like everything is a clear out right everyone just sit ahead to the perimeter of the field and then that will drag all the defenders away yeah. and then kelsey just needs to go the other place and we'll just play a little one-on-one right and then kelsey the just finds where the one guy remaining is and goes in the opposite direction and we've got a wide open first down i there must be something like that happening where because every time he finds this wide open space over the middle the most amazing thing to me is not the lack of proximity to a defender it's the lack of proximity to another receiver like nobody else in the chiefs is anywhere near him oh i know it's it really is unbelievable so there's a whole bunch of that Uh, mahomes with an awesome scramble drill touchdown and again when we talk kind of like what i described with the ravens the chiefs offense they've pretty much had two games this year and they've been a good offense, but they've had two games this year where they looked like the Super Bowl champion Chiefs offense. Right. This is one of them, the Bears game a few weeks ago. But like when the Chiefs are on, it's a combination of uh, why aren't you covering this guy? Why are these receivers open? And then when the receivers aren't covered, Mahomes scrambles and creates, you know, Marcos Valdez Scantling coming from the other side of the field for a 46 yard touchdown on a scramble drill. Um, so it's just like everything seems to be working. Mahomes was really sharp, um, again, other than just kind of like chucking it up for an interception. But early on, it was like a classic Chiefs-Chargers game, which is the Chargers defense almost, they rarely stop the Chiefs. But the Chargers have some explosive you know, ability, and they hang, hang with them, right? I mean, Joshua Kelly had a 49-yard touchdown in there. And then as the Chiefs tried to pull away, you have a 60-yarder to Josh Palmer, and it's like, all right, game on here. You know, it's going to be Herbert versus Mahomes. It was 17-17 to 17 at one point um, after Herbert found Gerald Everett. And it was like, all right, we've got a shootout on our hands. Um, but then just before the half, the, the Chiefs go 96 yards on six plays. Again, the explosive nature of the offense was in full effect yesterday for the Chiefs. Um, big plays to get off their own goal line. Score with 21 seconds left in the half. They score, um, and then the Chargers get shut out in the second half. Yeah. It, to me, the story of the game was the complete nature of this game for the Chiefs, how great their offense looked, again, 
but also the fact that, oh, by the way, the defense gave up some big plays early on, but they're still one of the best defenses in the league. They're, av- they're giving up about 15 points a game, in there, and that's you know the best defense we've seen in the Mahomes, Mahomes era. Yeah, it was a strange performance from Herbert. Uh, in the first half, he played really well. Now, he also missed a touchdown again. Like This is the second week in a row where he's missed what should have been a touchdown, just overthrows the receiver. But the first half, he was really good, and it looked like we might have this just incredible shootout and for like Mahomes is going to lead the league in games where he threatens the single game passing record at the half and then doesn't get anywhere near it by the end of it he's done this several times remember the game where like Tyreek Hill had 200 yards in the first quarter whatever it was right and then none of that happened like it's like that game Tyreek Hill was going to break the single game pass or the single game receiving record uh Herbert or Mahomes is going to break the single game passing record neither of those happened he had 321 passing yards at the half. The single game record is, what, 554 or something? Yep. Um, and it stood since God knows when. And then they, they, they didn't get that done in the half. But for the first half, like Mahomes has got three, is 300 yards. They're putting up insane numbers. Herbert is playing really well, isn't quite as productive, but they're only a score down. And it looked like we were going to get this incredible uh, battle. And then, you know, the Chiefs kept going and the Chargers didn't really. Like Herbert was not nearly as good in the second half and the defense absolutely clamped down on him. Um, Charles Menehue made his return for the Chiefs, made an impact. A couple sacks, had a batted pass that got intercepted. Remember Herbert's coming in. Yeah. Uh, the Chargers are driving. They're in the red zone and Menehue tips it and it gets intercepted. That was all part of the second half shutout that the Chiefs threw. You mentioned the stat on Chris Jones. Yeah. Um, going back to the way the Chiefs built this team with Chris Jones, a defensive tackle who can line up on the edge. I'll let you talk about that stat. George Karloftis had a bunch of pressures. Charles Amenehu comes back off suspension. Remember, he's he was my Tyree Wilson comp from a body type standpoint. Big and long. He can win inside. He can win outside. It, it feels like the Chiefs, not only are they have they been a very good defense, but now they've got the defensive line depth that they built and a whole bunch of different style pass rushers that they can move around. And once again, Chris Jones, when you throw him on the edge, he wins. He really does. And he played on the edge quite a lot in this game. Um, but he has the best – like it feels when you're watching games with uh, the Chiefs playing that Chris Jones sort of moves himself um, to the edge for the highest leverage plays. Like he, you know, he's decided he sort of can't play there full time. We know that doesn't really work. But if he lines up on the edge, he's, he knows he'll have a quick win because he's 310 pounds and it's a weird body type and just surprising deal for uh, offensive tackles to deal with. And he almost always wins that first play. Uh, and he sort of times it for like the biggest plays in the game. So in this game, he lined up, I think, 10 snaps on the edge and six of them were on third down. So he really does time it for like those high leverage situations. And it almost, it seems like he always wins. And I dialed up his pass rush win rate when he's lined up on the edge this season. And it's the best pass rush win rate of any player in the NFL. Like it's, it's whatever it was, five percentage points, four percentage points higher than Rashawn Gary, who, as you said, is on pace to like set the record, right? Yeah. Uh, Chris Jones is four percentage points better than that when he's lined up as an edge. So it really is like one of the biggest kind of cheat codes from a pass rushing standpoint in the NFL is the plays where Jones decides to go out and beat up on an offensive tackle. It is amazing because when, they, when the, he was forced to play on the edge 
that one year. He wasn't great. He was good on a, but he wasn't great. Like from like a down to down standpoint, right. it felt like the Chiefs are worse because they were so bad at. De- he was that still was the good big part. The Chiefs were worse though, but it, it does feel like when he goes there right now, he knows the move against this tackle that's going to work. But I think Whether it's also it's shutting it down against the Bengals or you know late in the game, whatever it might be. I think it's also it makes a far bigger impact when he only does it you know 10 times in a game right when he's out there every play an offensive tackle has time to get used to this monster and i think he all i think there's merit to the fact that now he's back to being 310 315 pounds than there was when he had to lose weight to try and play on the edge full time like that probably made a difference i think one of the reasons it's so difficult to stop right now is because the dude is still 310 he's, he's the yeah. same weight as the offensive tackle trying to block him. When he was slimmed down to like 285 or whatever he dropped to that time, I mean, you're just you're 20 pounds lighter than you were. You're not as strong. That's what, and again, that goes back to, I think when you have those different body types, even um, FAU and Ndike Azama, the first rounder, he hasn't had a great start to his career or anything, but he's got that, you know, Gumby, you know, flexibility aspect to him. Carl Loftus is a bull rusher. Ameni, who's got crazy length. Chris Jones is 310, as you mentioned, with quickness, speed, and power. If you're an offensive tackle, remember when we talked to a Mitchell Schwartz or a Joe Thomas on the show, how much they have to study their opposing pass rushers. So when you're not going up against one guy, you're going up against three or four different rushers, different body types. That is a fascinating, um, you know, difficult task for a tackle, and the Chiefs are exploiting it. So on the season, almost 80% of his snaps on the edge are lined up or are on third and fourth down. And on just third and fourth down, now look, we're getting into pretty small sample sizes at this point, so take the numbers with a grain of salt. But on third and fourth down, his pass rush win rate is 39%. It goes up even higher. Like every single element of this, the more high leverage the situation, the more likely it is that Chris Jones is going to win. I don't know if this is one of those regress to the mean or like the Chiefs found something type of deal. I think but, they found something. Yeah. Now, it may regress to the mean anyway, but like I'm not saying he will be the most destructive pass rusher that we've ever seen if he continues doing this. But I do think that we found an element where he is more successful and more dangerous doing this than just rushing from the interior randomly, you know, again, like actually moving outside in high leverage situations seems to make a difference. Uh, Chargers offense, I, I do believe, and Tony Romo did mention this, that they do miss Mike Williams. So you have a game like Josh Palmer had a fantastic game with five catches for a buck 33. But it does feel this year where it's very fragile if, you know, Keenan Allen heavy offense. Um, you don't have that ability of when things are covered. And think about how many times I said that the Ravens, there were plays where the Ravens were covered but Lamar Jackson made a play. There were plays where the Chiefs were covered, right? The the Chargers covered the Chiefs well, but Mahomes found a way to make a play. The Chargers equivalent to that was everything's covered. Well, Mike Williams will catch one. He'll flip the field for us with a big play. They're missing that. Um, and I really feel like that was a big part of, you know, the inconsistency in the second half. You know, if the Chiefs aren't busting a coverage for a 60-yarder, what do you have? You know, they could give the extra attention to Keenan Allen. You don't have enough other weapons. Quentin Johnson had Johnson had his one catch for 20. He doesn't have the same type of ball skills that Mike Williams has to just, you know, catch those back shoulders or, you know, go up and win at the catch point over and over again. Makes the Chargers offense feel a little fragile here. Um, but they fall to two and four, man, um, for the 15th straight year. 
they've disappointed me. Ah, yeah. Um, still no real major impact from Joey Bosa. 28 pass rushes, two pressures. Yeah, it felt like Mahomes had a lot of – it is funny when you see – it felt like he had a lot of time and ability to navigate. He had that crazy – another crazy third and super long scramble for 20-plus yards, whatever, with 23-yarder. And then the next play, you know, they played better in their gaps and everything. It is so difficult to figure out, do you want to rush him? Do you want to make sure he's not going to escape? Um, and I, I think that helps the Chiefs' offensive line and their ability to block, plus the Chiefs' offensive line does a nice job kind of locking those guys up so you can let Mahomes navigate. And I thought the, the O-line played great for the Chiefs. They played great all around. Yeah. Probably their most complete <clears throat> game, I would say. Yeah. I mean, this season. was – we sort of said, like, if you look at their season, there was that one game against Denver uh, – or, sorry, against Chicago when – you know, they were threatening to hang 70 on them the way the Dolphins just hung 70 on the Broncos before slowing down the second half. But, like, one game against terrible defense, we were like, oh, this is, this is the Chiefs we know and expect. Um, every other game, they kind of struggled on offense and really made it a grind. And this was the first one where that looked like the Chiefs again. Um, another element of that might be the, I think, steady emergence of Rasheed Rice as maybe their best receiver, wide receiver. Um, Marquez Valdez-Scantling had a big play for the first time in a while. Obviously, Travis Kelsey was their number one guy. But, like, if Rasheed Rice actually becomes their number one receiver and sort of elevates it in a way Sky Moore simply hasn't even threatened to do so far in his NFL career, I mean, that potentially moves a needle for them, like giving them a receiver that can make an impact as well as Travis Kelsey. All right, man, let's wrap it up. Is that every game? Make sure we didn't miss anything. One. Sunday night football, Philadelphia Eagles 31, Miami Dolphins 17. Eagles move to 6-1, and one. Dolphins fall to 5-2. and two. Uh, Jalen Hurts, a little banged up mm. during the game, ends up with a knee brace on his left knee during the second half, but still... Was it that scramble that he got injured on? Because when he ran there, he looked like he was limping at the end of that. I feel like Hurts has just been hurt the whole year. Something looks off, but more specifically, he started limping on that scramble, yes. Yeah, but I don't know if that was, like, if he got hurt on that scramble or if he already been hurt, and then it just, uh, look, he's limping. Um, yeah, Hurts just feels like he's, he's been playing banged up for the majority of the season, whatever it is. But, yeah, he fought through it, man, made some big throws. A.J. Brown, 10 catches for a buck 37. He made some huge plays for the Eagles, including breaking two tackles for a touchdown, had a – 42-yarder when the Eagles were running the clock out with their, I call it the service academy drives, right? The mm. long, slow drives, but they mixed it up with a 42-yarder, A.J. Brown, to, to kind of seal the deal in this game against the Dolphins. Eagles did a really nice job against this Dolphins offense. Dolphins had a pick six in there on a tip pass. Other than that, though, Eagles hold the Dolphins offense to just 10 points. Yeah. I mean, they shut down the run first and foremost – uh, and then the pass game was a struggle off the back of that. The Eagles, I mean, both trenches, but the Eagles' defensive line just, they were wrecking Miami. Now, it's not necessarily the starting Miami offensive line. Um, like, I, I, one of the most impressive elements of the Mike McDaniel thing has been that that offensive line has looked pretty good. Yes. Um, and it's not particularly good on paper. And a bunch of people were like Dolphins fans are in this weird world now where they're 
mental. Um, but they're all complaining, like, oh, maybe the paper's wrong. Maybe this is just an amazing offensive line. Austin Jackson's a former first-round pick. He's clearly got talent, right? And same thing is true of Isaiah Wynn. This is a high-quality unit we've got right now. Like, okay, but it wasn't even good on the field, independent of, you know, Mike McDaniel and this offense coming in. So let's settle down a little bit here. We know that this offense improves the performance of offensive line. Now, look, Teron Armstead is a really good player, but we also know he's going to miss time every single year, every year, and he's not out there in this game. That's a big factor. Um, Kendall Lamb has been impressive stepping in when he's had to, but how good do we expect him to play? Um, Robert Hunt, I think, is a pretty good player, but we're probably only still at two or three players in that line that are decent starters, and the other ones are potentially problematic. Austin Jackson has never been good and still isn't particularly good. Liam Eikenberg, a tackle in college, a guard in the NFL, is now playing center because of the, the reshuffles and the injuries. The line was just overmatched in this game and just couldn't handle the likes of Jalen Carter in particular, but Hassan Reddick, like they, Josh Sweat, they got overwhelmed. Um, they did, and again, I don't want to, as I mentioned earlier, the Dolphins' offense technically got held to 10 points, but from a, what was the Eagles' part in that? There was a crazy drop by Tyreek Hill, wide open pass. It may not have been a touchdown. He's probably down. A, he could have. Would have been a touchdown. Probably would have been, but there's a chance he's tackled at the one or two-yard line. But either way, probably a dropped touchdown uh, on third down. Next play, this is the ball don't lie play. Next play, the Dolphins go for it on fourth and three. Tua kind of chucks it up. There's a bad face mask against Cedric Wilson. It's a no call. Egregious miss call. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Uh, we never got Terry's explanation for it. No? They never, because so much stuff happened after that. They go to right. commercial, come back, Jalen Hurts. There's a batted pass on an unblocked rusher, tipped up. Jerome Baker catches it, runs it in for a pick six. Ball don't lie. Dolphins get the touchdown anyway. Look, guys, sometimes you're just not paying attention. You miss the obvious face mask <laughs> at, the, at the point, at the direct point where the ball is arriving. Terry sometimes leans in favor of the official. So I was waiting for. I think he was. I think it was him yesterday that had like the first couple of times he came on, he was disagreeing with the call. No, I know he will sometimes. Yeah. We never really got an explanation, but I think it was obviously a missed call. Um, but so that some, looked like a it was a big momentum switch. Yeah, big there momentum. was some pretty bad misses in this game, official wise. Like this was not, it was not an. I don't think it was a well officiated game, and it was one of those games where all of the misses go in one direction, which is not going to help the. Uh, I believe game is rigged narrative. I believe I saw that the Eagles did not have a penalty called against them. They kept saying that, and yet they did because there was an offsetting penalty where they called them offside on the tush push thing. Right? Didn't they oh, make them true. redo that? So, so in like the official penalties, they didn't. It only have. goes down as like we they have the that. accepted, the declined, and then offsetting. So somebody is only looking at the accepted penalty column and not the offsetting one, which is also a penalty. Yeah. Um, so I think you know Tyree Kill was awesome in this game, but he had two drops. One of them for a touchdown. Um, you know he gets open at a ridiculous level. He's yes. he's incredible. They were trying to feed him on some of the short stuff too and the intermediate routes. But the two drops ended up... They were costly. Pretty, yes. Yeah. Extremely costly. I thought Tua actually played a, a really good game. The, I mean, the touchdown bomb to Tyreek Hill was beautiful. Perfect pass. Yes. And also that play, like as much as, okay, Tyreek Hill made some mistakes and they were costly mistakes. On the other hand, he invalidated a bracket coverage by just running oh, through the middle of it. That was... Um, Antonio Brown used to do that. There was almost an identical play 
where I think Big Ben hit Antonio Brown during Antonio Brown's um, prime, where that was it. It's like, all right, we got this. The chalkboard says, yeah, safety corner, little in out bracket. We got this. This is easy. We're gonna make Tua go somewhere else, and Tyreek Hill just splits the difference. Antonio Brown did the same thing on this. Just split the difference, boom, put it right on him, touchdown. It's like, man, you just created a touchdown where the chalkboard said there's no way. Well, this is the problem is he's so fast. Like, you can't bracket him in out because he can just run through both of them. Like, neither guy can run with him. So if you're going to block him or if you're going to bracket him in and out, if he just runs straight past both of you, now all you've done is put two people in no position. Make it high high low. You need to take him away high low. And even then, if they just run anything – horizontally it's okay it's it's a it's a challenging throw but the space is still there because he's running away from both those guys you almost need if you want to take him away you need like four points you need to box him in with four different defenders because he's too freaking fast yeah i mean so it wasn't this complete domination i don't think by the eagles defense or anything i thought the dolphins um, they got they got hot just before the half. Tua made a couple. He made some incredible throws. I mean, even the the broadcast highlighting his anticipation and throwing to space. I thought Tua did a really nice job there. Um, some of the other key plays. I want to talk about Nick Sirianni and what his decisions offensively. But um, Tua's interception though ends up being a huge difference in the game. Um, there were multiple plays on this play where the Dolphins' spacing was completely off. Yeah, and two receivers were running to the same spot. Two one of particular. them, two threw it up, and it was caught. Right. This one, he kind of invites some pressure, throws it up. It gets picked off by Darius Slay. So it's was, it was basically like a wheel route to Raheem Mostert, covered by Zach Cunningham. There also may have been a little tackle there by Zach Cunningham on that play, um, but it's underthrown egregiously. Darius Slay was covering his receiver in the area, comes off the play, off his man, to pick it off. Um, there was some spacing issues with Miami, but also just a bad decision and bad throw by two. Yeah, I haven't seen I haven't seen the two plays side by side again, but they looked like almost the same play where the first time he completed it, you know, Chris was talking about it on the broadcast. Like this play doesn't make any sense. There's you're not supposed to run two receivers to basically the same place like that. And yet Tua kind of made it work anyway by just putting the ball where only his guy could get it. Now, the reason you're not supposed to have two def- or two receivers in broadly the same area is because of what happened on the second play, which is sometimes the second guy is going to bring a defender into the equation that you're not accounting for because you're targeting a different receiver, right? And if he's close enough, he can just make a play on the ball. Now, the first play, nobody saw it coming early enough to do that. But the second play, Darius Slay sees it and makes that play. And it's like, I don't understand. Okay, one time, sometimes a weird thing happens. It got like... Mostert looked like he was dealing with, you know, aggressive press coverage or whatever, and you, you end up running to the sort of – to a place you're not supposed to be because you've been driven there or whatever. But for it to happen twice in the same game is really strange. I don't I, – we need to find an explanation for that. Like, what the hell was happening on those plays? Yeah, um, Mostert, Mostert was running out of the slot. It wasn't like a true wheel route from the backfield. But a lot of times – I don't know what's happening here. It looks like a switch release, and whoever's running, who's the outside receiver? Is that Waddle? Yeah, I think so. He runs more of a fade when he's probably supposed to run a post. Um, So a lot of times what happens here is you have an option route, right? So it's a single high coverage. And if you have an option, a lot of times you have like a post corner type of option, and it's dependent on the safety. And you don't run it 
into the safety, you run it away from him. Or if the middle of the field's open, you run the post, right? So Waddle runs more of like a fade, which is right where most are to run in his wheel. Right. And so, yeah, that's where, you know, Darius Slay's got his eyes on the quarterback, peels off, catches the underthrows. Man, great ball skills by Slay yeah. to be able to catch that too. Those are one of, that, that's one of those, like if he dropped it, probably you see guys drop those types of plays because he was able to get off his, um, his drop and get to the ball pretty quickly. Really nice job securing it. Jordan Davis had a little pressure on the play as well. So, yeah, that was a huge play in the game. 24 to 17, early Q4. It was, uh, it was third and eight. Uh, Dolphins, I don't know if they were going to go for it or not on that play. But, yeah, down seven, big interception there for the Eagles defense. On the other side, Nick Sirianni's decisions to go for it were a big, a big part of the game here. They had fourth and three early on, probably a 40-something yard field goal opportunity. They go for it on fourth and three. This wasn't fourth and inches. This wasn't brotherly shove, tush push, double cheek push time. This was fourth and three. Jalen Hurts breaks away from a sack, makes a great play to A.J. Brown to convert, and then that leads to a touchdown. So Nick Sirianni's reckless decision-making. Reckless, if it doesn't work. His decision-making works, leads to a touchdown, and then late in the game, Eagles run in the clock. They're up a score, up seven. There's a third and whatever. A.J. Brown, sh uh, short of the sticks. It's fourth and one. It's not inches. It's fourth and one plus. And they go for it in their own territory. The same stuff that people fire Brandon Staley for every single week. <laughs> Nick Sirianni. But now the, the answer would be, well, Nick Sirianni has answers. Like, what's the difference? Well, Sirianni knows he has pretty much a cheat code mm -hmm. on fourth and short. He knows he has a play that's going to work 90% of the time. So when you're looking at those conversion rates, like when you run the models, fourth and one, I forget what the actual conversion rate is. It's probably 65 70% though. And the Eagles are running this saying ours is 90, yeah. right? Ours is different. So, so maybe, maybe Sirianni won't get as much credit because he's got this, but that aggressiveness twice on that drive. Which just for the record, by the way, is something analytics can <laughs> – can take into account. You don't know how good our play is. Well, actually, we do. <laughs> right? How? What do you think? That? How far do you think the range of that thing is now? Because it's not like you know, quarterback sneaks. It's like eh, for fourth and a half yard, we're good. If it's a full yard, oh, yeah. it's a bit risky. You would run your confidence levels. I bet it's like inches. It's you know, ninety-five, but ninety-eight like, percent. They're getting fourth close. and one. It's ninety percent. Fourth and one and a half. It's. 80, and then fourth and two, it might be 70. That's what I'm saying. This yeah. is getting pretty close to being like a, a legitimate fourth and two play. They're getting that much drive on this thing. And you watch their execution of this. It's incredible. Like, every aspect of this play is working in a way that isn't. So it's not, you know, everyone's sort of going, my, my take on it is it's Jalen Hurts in a 600-pound squat. Okay, well, that's not a factor when Dallas Goddard is literally picking him up by the ass cheeks and driving him over the offensive line. The squad is not impacting that play. I'm, gonna, I'm here to tell you. I think it's all of it. I, I really it think is. The, that's the thing. The it's, Eagles O-line does make this thing work. The Eagles offensive line does, and not just the way you think, right? It's not just the initial surge down. It's the execution of that. It's a second push they're getting. They're now folding the tackles in yes. and behind and, like, driving the, the initial shove, right? So, like, the touchdown play, Lane Johnson is now, like, folding back in and driving behind, the, like, the interior of the offensive line in addition to Goddard 
and whoever the other guy is driving Jalen Hurts from behind. It's all of it put together. Nobody else is doing that. Somebody else might have a really strong quarterback. Somebody else might have a really good interior offensive line. Somebody else might be executing the shove part correctly from behind. Nobody's doing all of it at the same time in addition to those uh, edge blockers sort of folding back in and driving the, the whole thing from behind. It is unstoppable right now from an Eagles point of view. And I honestly think, like I said, we're reaching the point where it's like a fourth and two play. And I, I can only imagine there's, they're going to run that at some point. It, it does break, break the arithmetic on the uh, arithmetic. I'm kind of sad they didn't. That when they got down to like the five-yard line late in the game, I kind of wanted to see them just run it four times. Just keep going. Yeah. We're, keep it, we're at the five. There's a couple minutes left. We're going to punch it in with this play that you yeah. all hate. Well, remember you talked about Brady earlier in the show about his QB sneaks. Early in his career, because Brady played in the dark, you know, many years ago. 1980s. Yes. Yeah. They used to run empty under center in the NFL. You never see that anymore, right? right? Empty did under it. center. Somebody did it last week. Did they? I think so, yeah. Really? Yeah. Need split backs. Oh, maybe, was it Josh Norris called it out? He said? Yeah. I I, so. I, yeah, okay. And I was like, yeah, bring back split backs. But, like, there were times where Brady, if you know, if he had, like, double three techniques, he had nobody, you know, no nose tackle, he right. would just, like, run forward for five. Yeah. Like, that was a new thing in the NFL that had never been done before because it's like, this seems logical. Let's just take the, the free five yards. Um, but that was all part of, like, the QB sneak package, that it's a, a thing. I mean, the Eagles, do you need to have that type of formation and stance? Like, can they start breaking this out as more of a surprise? You know, it's like second and three. It's like, oh, we'll just – why don't we just move – you know, run forward for five because we can do it. It'll be interesting to see how they evolve this. It'll also be interesting to see if they ever try to run a counter off of that. Do you well, set they up – have. They did last year or – yeah, they've done – Or just how often they're, they're able right. – or what they can come up with. Now, they haven't shown of one of those this year, I think. But last year they did. They ran some, like, weird wide stuff off this just to, sh like, show teams, hey, you can't completely just stack everybody up in the A-gap because we do have a wide threat yeah. off the back of this. The Jags have done a pretty good job yeah. of that where they get into that tight formation and then they flip it to ETN, and if right. you have a speed back... I don't think the Eagles have shown any kind of wide variant off it this year in, in part because it's just been completely unstoppable. I honestly think, though, like... I think that would get it banned, though, by the way. Like, if they just lined up and went, we have six yards to go, and we're going to pick up all six of them by four consecutive tush-push, brotherly shove, two double-cheek push things, and just because you can't stop it. We're going to grind you down. I think that would make the competition committee ban it. I promised myself we wouldn't talk about this for 20 minutes. But I just, I'm, A, I'm fascinated by how good they are at it, and B, I think it's reaching this point now where they are so confident in how unstoppable it is that it's like a, it's like a control thing. It's like we know you can't stop this. We are going to go out every fourth down. We are going to impose our will and crush you, and you have no shot. Um, I'm impressed. This was one of the best all-around games by the Eagles this season. I am also fascinated by the short memories. Again, I'm overreacting to the people, but there was a whole lot whole lot of instant reaction which is like eagles back to the super bowl against the chiefs huh we're like it's rematch time it's like literally seven days ago the eagles blew a game to the jets <laughs> and i know the niners had a bad week but in the rain in cleveland but they still exist right it's not this was the best most complete game though of the eagles yeah. and they took it to a really impressive 
Dolphins offense. Yeah, and I because think the Dolphins can't play in the Mid-Atlantic or Northeast states outdoors. You can't have both sides of this, right? You're either saying they didn't do that great a job against the Dolphins offense because they left some plays on the table, or you're saying the mid-temperatures of Philadelphia stifled this Miami offense. The temperatures affect the entire pass game. The weather factor affects the entire pass game. Uh-huh. In a dome or in a controlled environment or good weather, it's better. It, not that this was bad weather, but they said there might be swirling winds. <laughs> and it affects the ability not just to throw the ball, but to catch it. Uh-huh. It's all a factor. I mean, I think they did a really good job on the Miami offense. Like, Yeah, of course they did. Yeah. I also said it easily could have been, you know, 17 the given up, but that's still a win, right, given what the right. Dolphins were. I mean, Miami left some plays on the table, but we were talking about how they were averaging eight yards per play heading into this game. They averaged 4.9 in this game. And even if you give them credit for the plays that they left on the table, right, Tyreek Hill catches that pass and scores, they're still not getting anywhere near eight. I mean, Philadelphia, like, took at least two yards per play off this offense relative to anybody else, uh, which raises the question, were Miami simply fraudulent all the time and a product of a terrible schedule? Oh, you went there, huh? I'm just asking the question. So they just beat up on some bad teams. Now you have to answer it, and you're the one that gets in trouble. I'm simply, I'm simply asking questions here. Maybe. <laughs> this is why I think Tua played a better game, because in other games... You've got you know, a little shovel pass, and you get some nice, you get some easier stuff. You get some more. The, the the passes weren't as open. The windows were tighter. Right. And Tua made the throws. In Very little game. in terms of like the trickery Similar. worked. But again, was it the Patriot? The where did the Dolphins' offense struggle the most? In New England, in Buffalo, in Philadelphia. It's not just outdoors and in the. But those are pretty decent defenses. Yeah. Right. So that is that is a fair question. I mean, we knew that the Dolphins, they're, they're not going to average eight. They're not going to average eight yards per play the entire season. We know that's the case. Bold claim. But we've seen this in the past with, say, uh, even a greatest show on turf. I know they won a Super Bowl, but they ran into some good defenses and got shut down. Or like an 07 Patriots or a 2013 Broncos. The best statistical offenses don't always win it because sometimes the best stats come because you, you, know, you pile on against some bad teams. But in a one-game setting, can, a, can an Eagles defense take it to the Dolphins? Absolutely, and they did last night. Uh, how good is Jalen Carter? Oh, yeah, really good. Like we've thrown all the you threw a Kevin Williams in his prime comp. He really does last night. He looks like Kevin Williams, like peak Kevin Williams. And somebody Soza, does anybody remember Kevin Williams? No, Souza, but one of the most, by the way, like bizarrely forgotten dominant players ever. Like that dude was. Kevin. Hall of Fame caliber defensive lineman. Everyone's like, who's Kevin Williams now? Uh, but Souza, I think, was asking on Twitter, does that make Jordan Davis Pat Williams? Like, have, have the oh, Eagles yeah, yeah, yeah. recreated the Williams, wall the Williams wall with Georgia defensive tackles? Absolutely. And you have Jordan Davis inside as this like two-gap monster while Jalen Carter over there, Kevin Williams, just ragdolling guards one-on-one and getting into the backfield immediately. It kind of there's a lot of similarities. Yes, absolutely. Um, so yeah, Jalen Carter still unblockable as a pass rusher, and I want to shout out Hassan Reddick, who only played seven snaps against the run, but he played it at a 2015 Khalil Mack level. Those seven snaps against the run. So good job by Reddick. Not normally a great run defender, but he was blowing plays up early on yesterday. 
that was another little factor. I know Mostert ended up breaking a run or two, but early on the Dolphins had no rhythm because the, the Eagles did take away that running attack. It hasn't just been Tua in the passing attack, right? It's been they're averaging like six yards a pop in a whole bunch of games yeah. in the run game That's as the well. That's the thing. Like the, the sort of trick plays that they dialed up, or not even the trick, just the sort of crazy misdirection stuff that was bringing guys wide the hell open with, with all – none of that was there yesterday. Like the Eagles right. stopped that and sort of made Miami have their success in a much more – uh, conventional manner and they had some success but like that took a big part of that offense away all right man it's time to wrap it up we play to the to the number of games next week we'll have a full slate we'll still end at 932 just what we'll do every week every single week thanks to everybody for tuning in uh, we still have monday night football little vikings and 49ers action tonight you'll be back here tomorrow breaking it all down with trevor mm-hmm. talking about caleb williams Falling draft stock, perhaps? Is he is he tanking to avoid the tanking teams? I don't know, man. Oh, you think you're tanking for me? I'm going to tank for somebody else. Yeah, maybe that's what he's doing. Yeah, He's like, I'm going to go number 10 overall. Like, right. Like Pat. Be like him. Uh, but yeah, you guys will be back here tomorrow, breaking it all down. We appreciate everybody waking up early with us here on YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you again tomorrow with more PFF NFL Podcast.